And now, introducing a man who was beside himself upset without me on Thursday and Friday, overheard on a hot mic saying, man, I really miss Paul, while staring at little Jordan with disdain in his eyes. It's okay, daddy's home. He is Glenn Clark. Good morning, it is a Monday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. I am, of course, Glenn Clark, and yeah, Paul Valley is back from Florida, tan, and, and he was the only baseball that was happening in Florida over the course of the weekend. Maybe they're getting closer after um, some concessions that were made this weekend. We will find out. Um, of course, a lot of opinions that are had about said concessions. <sighs> I don't... Uh, I, we'll get to that in a second. We'll get to it in a second. A lot to cover on a Monday edition of the program. Hi. Today's show is brought to you by Live Casino and Hotel Maryland, the best place for watching all events. And I would tell you that you're going to want to be there this coming Sunday we will finalize some of these details in the next 24 hours, but we're going to be hanging out on Sunday afternoon into the selection show on Sunday night. I'll have more to tell you about that. And, of course, as you get ready for the start of the tournament, my God, you're going to want to be there. You're going to want to be in the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. All the things that people always said about why you want to be in Vegas, don't get me wrong, I'm, you know, I've done the NCAA tournament in Vegas. It's, I understand what makes it so great. The thing is you don't have to be there any longer. And since you're not going outside anyway, the argument for Vegas was like, plus, the weather's nice, right? Well, you're, not, you're staying inside and watching basketball all day. Who cares what the weather is? The weather might be nice that weekend. I don't know. It was nice this weekend for the most part. Um, you're going to want to be in the FanDuel Sportsbook. That's where you're going to want to be, hanging out from noon to midnight or later, watching basketball those first couple of days of the tournament. You need to make sure, if you want to reserve a spot, you want to guarantee that you've got a table, you've got your reclining chairs, whatever it is that you're looking for, email events at sportssocialmd.com right now in order to guarantee your spot for that Thursday, Friday, anything in that first weekend of the tournament. Events at sportssocialmd.com. That's the way to make sure you've got your spot for the first round of the big dance coming up in the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Just simply no better place to be. All right. All right. Happy Monday. Happy day. A lot to cover. As I mentioned, the baseball stuff, we'll get to it. Mike Bordick's going to join us a little bit later on. Obviously, college hoops, Towson's. It was a little shaky there for a second, but... They survive against Northeastern, so they're on to the semifinals tonight where they'll face Delaware at 6 o'clock down in D.C. Pete Gillen's going to join us in a few minutes. Of course, the Virginia, former Virginia and Providence and Xavier coach, now with CBS Sports Network, he'll be on the call tonight for the semifinals. And if Towson advances to the championship game, he will call that one as well. Worth noting, late last night down in D.C., Charleston took out Hofstra, and it seemed like all of the people who know seemed to think that Hofstra was the second biggest threat, the biggest threat to Towson in the CAA tournament. That doesn't mean that Towson's guaranteed to win tonight or tomorrow, but what was thought to be the biggest threat, out. Now, Wilmington is the team that they split the big the CAA regular season title with. Wilmington remains alive on the other side of the bracket. They also beat Towson at CQ Arena earlier in the year, although Towson avenged that and kicked their asses on the road a couple weeks later. 
Um, and, you know, Delaware, remember, they were down by nine against Delaware in that weird game where they had to call it early in the second half. Of course, they ended up in the, the makeup game coming back and, and kicking Delaware's butts, too. So we'll see. That's tonight at six. We'll talk to Pete Gillen about it. It's Monday, so Jeremy Kahn will join us. He helped me make some money. I decided. I was sitting at my kids' lacrosse practice yesterday, and I was like, you know what I haven't done in a long time? I haven't just bet all of Jeremy's plays. I haven't done it in a very, very long time. So I decided to do it, and it was a net positive for me, betting uh, Jeremy's plays yesterday. So I might do it again. I might do it again until I cool him off. That's normally the way that it goes. So, um, you know, I was pleased with that during the course of the day yesterday. Now, into the meat of the program. I have a column coming today. At PressBoxOnline.com. In fact, I believe the column is already up at PressBoxOnline.com today. It is about how much we still don't know, despite the fact that we learned a little bit more in relation to Lamar Jackson. As you know, much of what we talked about on Friday's show was related to this Ian Rappaport suggestion. And then after we went off the air, Jason Lockenfora put a column up at CBSSports.com that gave a bit more clarity but a lot more ambiguity towards the Lamar Jackson situation. What was the clarity part of it was very simple. According to Jason Lockenfora, the Ravens haven't made a serious offer to Lamar Jackson. His league sources say that their offers have been in the $35 million a year range. That's not a serious offer. That's nothing. That's one of two things. And I, I was talking about this. I had someone who used to work in an NFL front office who reached out to me unprovoked over the weekend because he saw me tweeting about it and he saw me, you know, sort of going back and forth with folks on Friday about this topic. And he said, look, you know, remember, there is a possibility. This is nothing. What, what really a $35 million a year offer could be nothing more than, hey, we just need to get the conversation going. So we'll throw this out there to get the conversation going. It's not actually our offer. It's just let's start somewhere, Right. And yes, that's possible. It's certainly possible that's the case, that you would read way too much into what an initial offer was, that all of the parties involved sort of understand what's at stake here. And there's maybe a little bit too much made of Lamar Jackson's willingness to go double franchise tag because the point of that could just be to speed up the process as well. The reason why you're willing to go double franchise tag is because you want to make it very clear. I know what you're willing to pay me. Ultimately, let's just skip to that number. Let's skip ahead in the process. If you're going to be willing to give me a franchise tag, it's because you think I'm worth that amount of money. And we all know the franchise tag is going to be way closer to $50 million a year because quarterback contracts are continuing to escalate. The numbers for Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen start setting the market. Now, the numbers, as have been pointed out by the likes of Josina Anderson, that when Aaron Rodgers reworks his deal with whatever team he ends up playing for this season, that number very well could be $50 million. And in a quarterback needy market and historically quarterback needy market, as needy a quarterback market as we have seen in decades, the quarterbacks hold the power. So whoever... It is, whether it's Lamar himself, his mother, an advisor they have, whoever is having the conversations, which the Ravens say they're not really having, might very well be trying to make it known that Lamar is willing to go this route because they want to speed up the process. Stop with making offers. Let's skip ahead to what the amount is going to be that you're willing to pay. 
And if that amount is the franchise tag amount, and specifically a second franchise tag amount, what are we doing? Let's stop wasting our time with all these nonsense numbers, and let's get to the real numbers. Isn't the issue with the franchise tag that you have to pay him every bit of that, whereas if he signed the contract... It's a, it's a it's terrible issue for your... Cap relief. This, this is why, if you're on the other side, you're trying to force their hand. Right. You know... This is everybody. The notion of negotiating is almost silly at this point, right? Everybody knows. They know what you know. You know what they know. Lamar Jackson, whether he has an agent or not, knows the Ravens are not well suited to have that individual number held over them due to a franchise tag. They know that's a not, he knows that's not a good thing, or somebody in his camp knows that. So stop it. Let's stop all the silliness. Let's stop all the $35 million. Let's stop all of that. Let's get to a real number. Put everything out on the table. Stop. You understand we're not just going to take your offer for the sake of taking your offer. We're not up against it. We know what we're worth. And we specifically know what we'll be worth on an open market because we know how many teams are desperate for quarterbacks right now. It's insane. There's 10 to 12 teams who feel good about their quarterback situation next year. There's a handful that, like, are probably going to run a guy out there. There's 10 that have no clue what they're doing at quarterback. None. And a terrible draft market at the quarterback position. To say he holds the hammer doesn't even begin. They hold everything. But the point is... It's silly to talk about in the terms of Lamar going to if Lamar if the, the other side of the story is that the Ravens are really only offering $35 million because they're doing the bit where they think he should go prove it next year, that silly thing that you guys were talking about last season. If that's what's going on, then 1000 percent Lamar Jackson's camp should say, the hell with that. Trade us now. Now. Because you don't know what's going to happen. It might very well be that by next year, the Giants feel good about Daniel Jones. I'll bet against it, but it's possible. It might very well be that by next year, Justin Fields looks like a rock star in Chicago. It might very well be that this draft class of quarterbacks that we're down on at the moment ends up wildly surpassing expectations. That all of them, even... Desmond Ritter, even Matt Coral, even Kenny Pickett in his tiny hands. All of them end up being players. And all of a sudden, a year from now, the quarterback market isn't nearly as desperate as it is at this moment. If the Ravens are pussyfooting here, if and I apologize for my language, if the Ravens are playing a game where they think, you know, look, we... We're just not ready to give you that Pat Mahomes number or that Josh Allen number. Get the F out of here. There is no secondary world. There is no world in which it's the obligation of the quarterback. This thing that we do, we say, well, now, you know, you do this and you just can't make any mistakes. That's not Lamar Jackson's obligation to concern himself with whether or not Eric DaCosta and company make mistakes in drafting. This notion that it's the quarterback's obligation to be more flexible with a team to do more. And I know that when we brought on um, 
I don't remember if it was Tony Agnone and Mark Lillibridge the other day, the former agents that we talked to on Friday. It was one of the things they threw out, like, hey, you know, you do want to make sure that the team still has some flexibility. No, you don't. That's not his job. Not at all. And as we heard Lamar Jackson say when he did the LeBron James show, he's talking about wanting to be a billionaire and win a championship, and I like both of those things. But it's not his job to find more money for the Baltimore Ravens to spend on players. And the notion that we put it on the quarterback is insane. The general manager has to be good at doing their job. The scouts have to be good at doing their jobs. You have to draft better. It's as insane as when we blame Joe Flacco for what happened to the Ravens after his contract. Joe Flacco is the same guy. They stopped drafting. They got rid of the good players. They failed. Not Joe Flacco's fault. They failed as an organization. Now, they found Lamar Jackson. And we're at this weird crossroads where I don't know which side of this is true. There's this third scenario that creeps up, which is this idea that Lamar Jackson wants to break the system. That Lamar Jackson is talking about, or is they've been floating out this idea of him playing on the double franchise tag, because he's trying to break the system and make NFL contracts more like NBA contracts. One of the things that Locke and Four threw into his report was the idea that Lamar wouldn't even really want to do a long-term deal. That he'd really want to do like a three-year deal. The NBA has this incredible scenario for the top 10 to 15, at this point maybe 20 players in the league, where essentially you can constantly max out. You sign a deal, and the moment the revenue changes and the NBA is making more money and the players get a better percentage of the revenue, you can just go back in, rip up that deal, and do a new deal that gets the max of whatever the new revenue number is. NBA players... The top NBA players constantly are redoing their deals to the extent, remember we talked about this seven to eight years ago, where we figured out LeBron James was essentially going to work the rest of his life on a series of one-year contracts. Because what you figure out is if the money's not guaranteed anyway, then I should always be getting my biggest piece of the puzzle. Or the biggest piece of the, what am I trying to say? Biggest piece? Biggest the piece pie. Pie. That's what I meant. Thank you, Paul. Biggest piece of the pie. And I love pie. Or I used to anyway. I should have been on top of that. I'm always getting my biggest piece of the pie. And there's this theory that exists that Lamar Jackson similarly feels a way that he can make that happen for football players. We're not going to do long-term deals. Ten-year deal like Patrick Mahomes? The hell with that. Who knows where the revenue is going to go in three years? These new TV deals kick in. Cap goes up dramatically. Why am I agreeing to take less of the cap? The answer back is, by having a long-term deal, you can get more guarantees than what you can get in a short-term deal. But you can absolutely work to get more guaranteed money within a short-term deal. Say, look, we'll do a short-term deal with you, but you've got to put more guaranteed money in there. Period. Plain and simple. And is it possible? Yeah, it's possible. We don't have that answer. I don't know. It's just a theory that's been floated out there. The only thing immediately that needs to be addressed is what the seriousness of the Baltimore Ravens is. And if the Ravens are seriously only willing to offer a $35 million annual average value type of deal this offseason, then there is no world in which Lamar Jackson, Jackson, Jackson should be sitting around and waiting 
I'm glad I didn't put the S when I said sitting. That would have been awkward. <laughs> um, should be sitting around and waiting for these franchise tags. So there is a team somewhere that is 1,000% willing to give up something and pay Lamar Jackson the money that he wants because they've got nothing. Because they have no chance next year. Because they have no quarterback. Because they're desperate. Because they might have to run out Mitchell Trubisky as their quarterback next season. The folks in Washington try to trade multiple first-round picks for Russell Wilson. My God, what they might be willing to give up to get Lamar Jackson. And I don't want that. To be abundantly clear, I don't think that's a good thing for the Baltimore Ravens. I think the Ravens trying to get cute, and I don't know that that's what they're doing, but anything other than just paying Lamar Jackson, this thing we keep trying to do where we want to break this system is nonsense. The system works the way that it works in the NFL. Do you have a quarterback? Yes, if you do, you have a chance. But what comes along with that is immediately you've got to pay them absurd amounts of money. And we can keep doing this thing eternally where, well, yeah, but it's just really hard. Or, you know, teams, not every team that's won the Super Bowl has had a high-paid quarterback, and, and it makes it harder to do. You can do this eternally. There will never, ever, 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 ever be a day in which it is better to have no quarterback and lots of cap space than it is to have a quarterback and cap troubles. It will not happen. No matter how hard you try to do the math, that day will not occur. You can play the game. You can say, hey, maybe we can go find another quarterback. Maybe we never need to pay a quarterback and we can just constantly draft him. Maybe. You, there's a risk you want to take? You believe that every five years you're going to hit on another quarterback in the first round who's going to be ready to play immediately and play at a high level. That's really something you believe you're going to do. You're not getting Lamar Jackson at a discount. You're not getting him on a prove it. If Lamar Jackson plays along with the game, the Ravens win. Like, if, if they play a game with Lamar Jackson where they say, prove it, and he says, fine, I will, then they've won. I guess good for them. Because there's no reason for Lamar to play along. He's got way too much power at the moment. 1,000% if they're not willing to pay him that top dollar, he should absolutely demand a trade. 1,000% he should demand a trade because he knows it's not good for the Ravens to have him on the franchise tag numbers, and he knows there is a quarterback-needy market that exists. What's going to happen? I don't have that answer. I don't have that answer. And I've got more questions today than I have answers. This is, it's a, it's a strange world to live in, but it seems like it should be quite simple. To say Lamar Jackson, the, the way this is being presented, well, he's just not worried about a long-term deal. Well, okay, the, the, he doesn't have to be worried about a 10-year deal, but it makes no sense to not be worried about getting a three-year deal done. And if the Ravens understand that's what Lamar Jackson is going to be doing moving forward, then they know this is what it's going to be. We're doing a series of shorter-term deals, and you can argue that's better for the team because who knows? Who knows what might happen? I mean, obviously, it's not guaranteed money in the NFL, so, you know, anything is good for the team, I guess, in comparison to other sports. It's a weird situation. It, it is, it's odd. It's odd that we're here instead of just skipping to the part.
Let's just skip to getting it done. Today's show also brought to you by our friends, your local Toyota dealers, buyatoyota.com. Make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4, available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Got a column. It's up at pressboxonline.com that sort of covers what we know, what we still don't know about the Lamar Jackson situation. You can check that out today. In the meantime, I'm going to talk a little bit more about Towson basketball. Victorious in the quarterfinals of the CAA tournament in D.C. last night. Now they get ready for the semis tonight and another date with Delaware. Joining us now, the man will be on the call for those games for CBS Sports Network. He is the former coach at Xavier in Providence and Virginia, CBS analyst. Mr. Pete Gillen is back with us here on GCR. Coach, it's Glenn and Paul. It's great to chat with you. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us. Our pleasure, Glenn and Paul. Nice to be with you guys this morning. It's good to chat with you, sir. And obviously we're really excited here as Towson's had this three-decade-long drought um, for getting into the NCAA tournament. They're now two games away from getting there. When you look at what they've done and how dominant they've been, and I know that they struggled a little bit out of the shoot yesterday, but they got that, that ship righted and they were fine. When you look at how dominant they've been, what, what, if anything, concerns you over the course of the next couple of nights related to Towson's chances? Well, once again, it's a whole new season. And uh, I saw the games last night. I had a game on the West Coast on Saturday. So I took a red eye uh, and uh, got back for the game. They played at 12 noon, as you know. And, and uh, I think out of the gate, they were a little bit tentative. The uncharted territory for them being the number one seed uh, in the tournament. So, uh, but as you said, they righted the ship. Um, uh, you know, I, I think they had a, a tremendous team. They've had a great season. Uh, but once again, it's a whole new season. They're playing the Delaware team tonight, as you know, they, they beat twice. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, Delaware played great last night. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a big challenge tonight. I think Townsend can win, but they have to bring their A game. They didn't bring their A game uh, yesterday at noon. The second half, they were terrific. The first half, they struggled. It was like uh, Charles Dickens wrote A Tale of Two Cities. Uh, great English novels. Well, that was a tale of two halves. So uh, they have to put two good halves together to continue to get to the finals. Do, do, do you think that there's a burden of expectation right now that they're carrying it all, Coach? That you know, as as we allude to this this 30 plus year drought and knowing how excited everybody is, do you think that that can become a burden when a couple of shots don't fall? That that starts creeping in. That everybody is expecting you to accomplish something, and the team that you're going up against has no interest in participating in that. That's a good question for sure. Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I think right now, I think they got the nerves out of their system, you know, from the first half, as we mentioned, against uh, Northeastern. Um, but this can be a battle because uh, Delaware is, is playing very well. They're focused. Uh, I guess that game, you know, better than I, that was broken up yeah. because of the, uh, the condensation on the court of Towson. So, um, and Delaware had the game in hand, and then all of a sudden, Towson blitzed and played great. So, uh, I think this is going to be a really heavyweight fight, but I don't think the expectations are, going to, are in our mind right now. I think uh, you're getting ready for a real battle tonight with Delaware. Um, I think Towson will be all right, but once again, they got to have to have all systems go, uh, and, and uh, that's a concern. You know that they got to have got to get help. You know, Timberlake and Holden uh, need some help a little. Terry Nolan Jr. Whatever they need, you know, they can't do it by themselves. Last night it was. Timberlake uh, yesterday was uh, Timberlake and Holden were great, but they got to get a little more uh, other guys on the team to contribute a little better. 
He is Pete Gillen. He's with us again. Towson, Delaware, coming up tonight at 6 on CBS Sports Network. He will be on the call. Um, Coach, the job that Pat Scary has done, and, and not just this season. Obviously, it's been maybe his most exceptional team, but consistently. I know there have been a couple of downs thrown in there, and you know, obviously the entire world of college basketball was difficult a year ago, but he's consistently been able to win basketball games. Do you start to feel like he is approaching a point where – maybe he's on the radar, deserving of a higher-level job. I know his name's been thrown around a little bit with the UMass gig, of course, because he's from up that way. Do you start to get the sense that, you know, especially if they would end up winning these next couple of games and get into the NCAA tournament, he could truly be on the radar to move up? He should be on the radar. Uh, Pat Scary's an outstanding coach, uh, tremendous person. I've known him a long time. Uh, You know, he's a great representative of Towson University. Uh, hopefully he'll stay there for a long time, but he, they're lucky to have him. He's, uh, he does it the right way. Uh, he looks after the kids. He cares about uh, people as well as, you know, student athletes. Yep. So he's, he's done a great job. I mean, uh, any place we're lucky to have him. Once again, you get all different types of situations with coaches, but he's, he's a great, you know, representative of the coaching profession today, you know, with integrity, morality, hard work. He, he really cares about the players. They play really, really hard for him because they know, that Pat Scary cares about them as people. So uh, hopefully he'll stay at Towson a long time, but uh, if you're a smart AD, uh, he'd be a good guy to consider. Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't mind him being overlooked around these parts. It would be all right <laughs> by us if he continues to be overlooked. Yeah, well, but hopefully he stays at Towson for yeah, a long time. We had the same situation with Ryan Odom at UMBC where we are like, man, if, if people keep passing on him, that'd be great news, but inevitably you just sort of get the feeling that, you know, somebody is going to step in and realize what's going on there and, and throw a bunch of money at him. Um, uh, you know, coach, uh, talking about coaching, obviously, it's a big story locally. What's going on at Maryland? And if I could just get your perspective on how good of a job Maryland is right now, and 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 I and I bring that up in the context of like, you know, it, it, it's funny. You of course were at Providence. People bring up Ed Cooley's name, and I look at Ed Cooley, and I'm like, man, you know, he's got everything going for him. Why would Ed Cooley leave all of that and in a place where he's beloved? to come to a Maryland job that maybe, maybe could be a really good job, but it's been 20 years since it's been a really, really good job. What, what's your perspective of where Maryland is at this point, where they can be, and whether or not it's worth leaving a, a, a decent job? You know, Andy Enfield at USC, Kevin Willard at Seton Hall for a job like Maryland. That's a great question. I, I think Maryland's a great job. Uh, I, I, you know, once again, banked heads with uh, – you know, with Gary Williams. A couple of times, yeah. Virginia, yeah. And Gary's a great coach and a great person. Um, we had some good battles. <clears throat> um, but, you know, I thought they were more, honestly, uh, an ACC school rather than a Big Ten school. I still think it's a great job because you have so much talent in the D.C. area, Baltimore area. Um, I still think it's a great job. Uh, but, once again, some of these coaches, Ed Cooley, I coach at Providence. He's, like you said, he's a king up there. He's from Providence area. He, he's getting tons of money. I'm sure he'll get more money if schools come after him. So he, what does he need? He doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need to prove anything. I don't know. I can't speak for what he'll do, but I can see him being very happy there. And the Enfield now might be another story. I don't know if he's a West Coast guy. I don't think so. So maybe he might have some he's, interest. Yeah, he's actually, I, from, I he's actually from Pennsylvania and, and went to Johns Hopkins here locally. Right, that's right. He went there, very good student. So yeah, maybe, I, I once again, I can't speak for any of these coaches. I don't right. have no inside information. But he, he might have some more interest in Kevin Willard. Once again, Seton Hall, you know, he's done a great job there, but um, maybe he's maxed out. Maybe he's done everything he could at Seton Hall. But, so I, I don't know. Each coach is different. Their opinion is different. Their life's different. So they have to make their own 
decisions. But uh, I think, getting to your question, I think Maryland is a, a great job because of the talent in the area, the tradition, the facilities. No, I, th- I think it's a top 15 job in the country for sure. So is, is it safe to say that you believe Maryland is a place where they should be able to get, if they hire the right coach, you should they should be able to get back into the conversation of having a chance to win a national championship? Definitely. No question about it. If they hire the right coach, which I'm sure they will, uh, you know, a coach that can you know, recruit certainly, a coach at a high level, deal with the pressure of coaching in the ACC, excuse me, in the Big Ten now, you know, with the, with the uh, you know, the great fanfare they have in that, in that league. So uh, I, I think so. I think they can get back in the national uh, title hunt. Will they win or not? Once again, it's very tough to do, but I think they can. And mainly because the facilities, the tradition, the great talent around, uh, you know, the, the Baltimore, D.C. area. Um, you know, I, I think in the league's a great league, so you sell the league. So I think, uh, you know, with, with the right coach, they certainly can be in the national spotlight. Do you do you think it matters that it's someone that knows the area, Coach? Do you, you know, I, it's something that we throw out all the time, like, hey, it's important that you're, you're – they went a different route, right? Mark Turgeon had no connection to this area whatsoever. Um, do, you, do you think that it's – is it a cliche when we throw that out there, like, hey, that matters, this place is unique, or – you know, is it really that, hey, if you're a good coach, it really doesn't matter. You're going to make it work wherever it is that you are. If you get the right coach, I, I think it certainly helps when you're from that area, you know the area. But uh, I, I think that uh, a coach like that will maybe hire two good assistants who knows the Baltimore, D.C. area. You know, they know, he knows the area there. So uh, I don't think it's it – would. It, I think it's a plus if he knows the area, knows, you know, the, the different coaches in the area, et cetera. But I don't think it's it's a game changer. If you get the right guy, if you get a really a super coach. I think he could come in and do great there. Uh, but he'd have to hire the right assistants that, you know, a couple of assistants that know the Baltimore, D.C. area. You, um, you know, as we look around the landscape of college basketball coach, we are just uh, we're, we're six days away from selection Sunday. If I said um, I'll give you this number of teams and you can guarantee that you know who the national champion is, if I give you this X number of teams, right, to pick, what would the number need to be for you to be confident that you know who the national champion is this year? Uh, it's another great question. I, I, I say a, a, a big number because I think it's really wide open. I say fourteen. Okay. I think there's a, it's a, you know teams nobody stayed on the pedestal. Gonzaga could win it; they get three losses. Yep. And, uh, Auburn could win it, right? They have three or four losses or five losses. So uh, I think it's it's more wide open than I can think of in, in a long, long time. I mean, some teams can come out you know out of the the woodwork and win it. I mean, uh, you know, so I, I think it's uh, it's the unknown, and I, I I think that's what makes it exciting. Anything can happen. You know, teams are it's like a roller coaster. So you know, this teams, you know, Duke of course got a great team. They're young, but they they got a great team. Providence you mentioned, Villanova of course they're they're terrific. Um, so it's a, it's I think it's really uh, anything can happen. There's a lot of great teams: Illinois, Purdue, uh, UCLA. Um, I did a, a uh, Arkansas game recently. They had a great team. They got a chance. Kentucky is tremendous. They got a great team. So uh, I, I think it's wide open. I, I would say if I you know randomly, I would pick 14 because I, I think it's it's really going to be an exciting tournament and really wide open. And it gives you all three your top you know your top three seeds in each region and a couple of the four seeds as well that you would say have chances. And then let me if I could wrap with this because you just brought up Duke. Obviously, we all know what happened on Saturday night. But I had this 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 sort of running through my mind in the aftermath of watching that. Which is, Coach, what is Duke basketball post-Mike Krzyzewski? Like, when, when John Shire takes over next year, is is Duke basketball just Duke basketball now? Like, that's just who they are. They're that type of brand. 
They just matter at that level. It's irrelevant who the coach is. Duke basketball is an entity that goes beyond anything. Or is there a chance that maybe Duke is more like Indiana once upon a time, right? Where Indiana basketball was was the world when Bob Knight was the coach. But after Bob Knight was the coach, they were just kind of another program for a while. And and really, frankly, still to this day. Like, what what's your gut tell you about Duke basketball post Mike Shashevsky? Well, I still think it'll be very, very good, but it, it can't reach the, the levels. I mean, he arguably was the greatest coach ever. I'd probably say John Wooden, but an eyelash behind him would be Mike Krzyzewski, right, with five national titles, six, whatever he has. Uh, I think it's five, but, uh, you know, he's maybe six. I don't even know, but he's won so much that uh, it has to drop off a little bit. But still, ACC is certainly a great conference. Duke's a great academic school, and great tradition. So they'll still be up there. You know, very, very good. But I, I, once again, replacing a legend is very, very difficult. Um, UCLA has never really topped that again, right? right. John Wooden retired. Yep. His 11 national titles. Nobody's, you know, uh, Jim Herrick won it once. And, you know, uh, you know, people have been up there. But, uh, you know, it's, it's Larry Brown got close. But, uh, um, you know, it's, it's tough to do it again. So uh, I don't think it'll approach the greatness that Duke had. But I still think they'll be very, very good. You know, be competitive. I think Shire will do an excellent job. But, uh, you know, Mike was an unbelievable coach. And, um, you know, he, he coached him off the court, on the court. He had, you know, great experience and a tremendous assistance. So I, I think they'll be very, very good. But I, I don't think they'll be uh, up in the, you know, the top echelon like they are right now. He is Pete Gillen. Again, tonight, 6 o'clock, Towson and Delaware on CBS Sports Network in the CAA semifinals. And if they win tonight, tomorrow night, the championship game. I mean, the championship game is going to happen whether they win or not, but we'll, of course, be far more invested if they do win. Uh, that's tomorrow night, 7 o'clock as well on CBS Sports Network. Coach, is there anything else we can plug for you, sir? No, it was it was a lot of fun. I'm just trying to you know, go back to my uh, uh, cave here and try to study, get ready for these games and, uh, and prepare as best I can. And uh, it should be a lot of fun. It should be a great evening. Enjoy your time down in D.C. Thank you so much for taking the time for us this morning, Coach. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you for having me on. All right, bye-bye. Coach Pete Gillen joining us here on GCR as he gets ready for the CAA tournament tonight and tomorrow night on CBS Sports Network. Know the risks and have a plan before you start gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. I can't lie. I was – and you know what's really funny? I genuinely wasn't watching the Duke Carolina game at all on Saturday night. We had had gone out to see some friends, and then the kids kind of got a little out of hand, so we ended up going to get them dinner – at an establishment that doesn't advertise, so I'll leave it alone for now. And I started seeing, I pulled out my tweeter, and I started seeing people talking about it on the tweeter, and I was like, well, that's interesting. But I was watching the Mount St. Mary's game. It was unfortunate they ended up losing in a heartbreaking fashion to Bryant in the uh, NEC semifinals. And so I still, because I just didn't care. I didn't care about any of the pomp and circumstances. This is not a, I, the hate Duke thing is more a bit than it is I guess that's not true. I really do in my bones still hate Duke. That's not, it's not a bit. I play it up a little bit because like, I just don't, as I've said a million times, there are very few things since becoming a parent I have watched is I just don't have the same feelings inside of me. But hating Duke because it makes everybody around the world come together. We come together on two things right now, Ukraine and hating Duke. Like That's what we've got as, a, as an international society. Um so all the pomp and circumstance was definitely not for me. Like I didn't want to see any of that. I had no. But in fairness, I haven't watched a Duke Carolina game in years because I just don't. 
I don't care about the, the day in, day out of it the way that I once did. So when I start seeing what's going on, I'm like, holy crap, is this for real? And then I start looking around the bar, like, which TV's got this game on for me to be able to watch it? They didn't even have it on. So I had to finally put it up on my phone. And I, like, I couldn't possibly explain to my wife and children why it was so joyous. Like, why I was so All happy. All the fans crying. Like, oh, my hands. God, it was just so wonderful. It was, awesome. it was so delicious. And, like, how do you explain that to a three-year-old? <laughs> like, boy, they look really upset. Like, yeah, four-year-old. Yeah, they really are quite upset, bud. They're really upset. Can you imagine spending ten grand? Oh my your god! Face blue, and then the dude can't even win. At least ten grand. I mean, the word was it was more than that. They just spend absurd amounts of money on these tickets, and only to watch you. And it's not just they lost; they lost to Carolina. Blown out. And yeah, and as it turns out, in the end, they were non-competitive. And and it's not like they lost to Florida State. They lost to the team they hate the most. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. it was so wonderful. <laughs> it was. I'm I'm awesome. not in any way a Carolina fan, but I was totally willing to become a Carolina fan between uh, Cam Johnson's buzzer beater for the Suns on Friday night and that on Saturday. I was like, boy, I will temporarily be a Carolina guy because my God, it was just so delicious, and I can't pretend I can't pretend like I didn't enjoy it in an almost perverted way, <laughs> like in a way where really, if it was anybody else talking about anything, I would say seek help. <laughs> like I I oh thank you blessings be. To everyone that you got to enjoy that and remind yourself that, like, you know, the world does not revolve around Duke basketball in any way. Oh, it was so great. Just so great. Doesn't mean. And by the way, I, and I'll say this, it's low rent for Maryland to tweet about it. I'll be the one to say that. It's one thing for your fans to be tweeting about it. It's one thing for Maryland basketball's main account to be tweeting about it. It's pathetic. And, and I, they can be mad at me and they can say whatever they want to say about me. You stink. <laughs> like, I don't know how else to tell Especially you this. Especially after leaving the ACC. I, I don't care about that. I don't care about that at all. It's People are still obsessed. There's such an obsession over that. It's not... You guys, you need to seek help. But it, it makes it you. more petty to me, I think. I, it's, I don't care who it is. If you're good, do whatever you want to do. You stink. You got nothing. Let the rest of us enjoy it, but you turned around and got your butt kicked the next day by Michigan State. You're not good. I hope that Maryland basketball is good at some point in the future. That would be great. But you're not. There's, there is no room for Maryland basketball, their account, to be talking about Duke. Stop it. And I get it. You're trying to recognize the way that your fans feel. And you know they're tweeting about it, so you want to score some points about something everybody else is tweeting about. But this is the society that we live on. Like, what can we dunk on instead of actually what are we accomplishing? It's pathetic. The rest of us, we can tweet about it. You guys, that's eh, that's a bad look, man. I, I like, I get it. It's, I'm an old man now. It's Twitter is past me, and this is just the way it goes now. Moving forward, we celebrate people that haven't actually accomplished anything. Like, it, that's the world that we live in. Marlins man gets to be famous for doing nothing, but that I, I'm going to say it anyway. Low rent. No, nah, I'd like to take a break. Low rent, pathetic pathetic it, that's a joke and they can be mad and they can they will i promise you they will they'll be mad that i said that they'll get word of it and they'll be mad at me and they can be as mad at me as they want to be but that's low rent stop it's embarrassing but i still enjoyed watching Duke get their asses kicked we'll come back in uh, a lot to talk about baseball wise the, sh- the shift's gonna be gone okay we'll talk about it and more mike bordick joins us next this is glenn clark radio at first sip 
That first bite. Mmm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Sports betting has come to Maryland, and we're ready to help you win some money. Tune in for Simply the Bets with Glenn Clark and Paul Valley every Tuesday morning at 1140. Fandle Sportsbook GM Bruce Billick and VEASAN's Aaron Oster join the guys every week to give you all of the info you need and even a few winners. So come win some money with us on Simply the Bets every Tuesday at 1140 a.m. Brought to you by the Fandle Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com radio. Watch at YouTube.com PressBoxOnline. Glory Days Grill's St. Patrick's menu is now in full swing, and it's their most popular seasonal menu all year. New in 2022 are their smoky thigh wings with Guinness grilling sauce, a house-made Guinness barbecue sauce. Fan favorites also include their corned beef and cabbage, the shepherd's pie with Guinness braised ground beef, the Glory Days Reuben, and the Rachel. Enjoy a pint of Guinness or Guinness Baltimore Blonde. The St. Patrick's menu is available for the whole month of March. Come in for great food, cold beer, and basketball. Find Find out more about Glory Days Grill and get your order in online at glorydaysgrill.com. It's another cold winter here in Baltimore, but this time there's no hot stove to warm you up. Hi, I'm Paul Valley, and while there may be no activity in the world of baseball, I'll still be here every week with my co-host Zach Goodman to give you all the latest in the CBA negotiations as teams look to get back on the field in time for spring training. You can watch us live every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon at youtube.com slash pressboxonline or facebook.com slash pressboxsports and listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. So tune in every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon for the latest in baseball coverage right here on The Bataround. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. We can't imagine why you'd want to, but you can watch GCR live. It's at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. And try to guess whether these guys are wearing any pants. Hey, tonight, Stan the Fan Charles, Ross Grimsley, they've got Tim Kirkchen joining them. You're not going to want to miss that, obviously. A lot going on in the world of baseball, and Tim is quite plugged in, so that'll be a great conversation. That's tonight at 5, special time for that show, facebook.com slash Sports. Or uh, if you miss it live, you'll be able to watch it there tomorrow as well as at pressboxonline.com slash video. We want to talk about baseball right now as some seriously puzzling concessions made over the weekend. But a lot of thoughts all sort of all over it. Let's get the thoughts of someone whose opinion that I've always respected. Of course, former Orioles shortstop and Orioles Hall of Famer. Now he's working with the folks at the baseball warehouse, among other things. He is our friend Mike Bordick, and he's back with us now here on GCR. Mike, it's Glenn and Paul. It's always great to catch up with you, sir. Thank you for taking the time for us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Can I ask you one question that I've never asked you before, Mike Bordick? I, I see the videos and the pictures you show of what it is that you eat, right? What what <laughs> yeah. what would a cheat meal look like in Mike Bordick's life? Like, do you ever say to yourself, like, hey, today 
I'll allow myself a um, like a slice of cheesecake or maybe even a slice of cheese. Like, what is a cheat meal in Mike <laughs> oh, Bordick's life? I do life? that all the time, actually. But I, uh, for instance, my wife made some homemade cookies this weekend, chocolate chip cookies, and they're just irresistible. So all I right. have about five of those, absolutely. I got now and then. I got to be honest. Eat pizza night too. I worry sometimes, Mike, and seeing what you eat, I worry that you might secretly be a psychopath. I'm just being honest because, <laughs> like, I love experimenting <laughs> with my uh, diet. I, I wish I would have done it earlier in my life, but uh, man, I'm having fun doing it. I, what I can get out of this old body, you know. It is wild. It is. I mean, wait, you look incredible. I mean, let's, let's let's call it like it is. My God, <laughs> I wish I looked at at 22. What you look like at this point in your life, oh, well, man. Thanks. Jesus. All right, Mike. Uh, Major League Baseball is—it's—it's it's gonna happen. Not this year. If and who knows if there's gonna be in this year, but starting in 2023, the shift is gone. Um, what is your reaction to to the the idea that something so drastic is apparently set to become reality? Yeah, that's pretty bizarre. Um, it, it really is. I, I'm still kind of dumbfounded in the fact that Major League hitters aren't willing to try to beat the shift. But there again, what what comes into play is this whole new uh, baseball philosophy of, of the all or nothing. And I think it's kind of sad, I guess, to a point that, you know, the great game of baseball, it's full of so much great strategy and, and, and really nuance that, you know, the game that I think we came up with was, was more of a chess match in many ways. And, and now it's just a, it's an all or nothing where it's a home you know, run pitcher derby, throws right. as hard as he can, hitters swing as hard as they can. So uh, who knows? Maybe this will kind of bring it back. I, I think, um, I, well, now guys are, I guess their average is going to go up because, you know, they won't have to hit into the shift anymore. But I don't know. It's just a, it's a bizarre game right now. And uh, I just hope it kind of, starts to come back to the to the game i think that that we all fell in love with i guess the, the somebody you know the response that someone would have to that would be well you know we didn't we didn't do this drastic shifting when we fell in love with the game of baseball right like we, this didn't exist in the 1990s so isn't this closer to the game that we fell in love with now i understand your point mike which the, the all or nothing part of it is the part that's driven me crazy it's why i actually love the extra inning rule because it forces there to be action in those innings. It forces. <laughs> right? It right? forces. Oh my God! God forbid somebody lay down a right. Like I uh, hit behind a runner. Oh I can't God. go back. I hated it when they announced it. All of a sudden, they can't go back to the other thing because I'm getting baseball yeah. now in the extra innings. But, but is there an argument for? hey, this wasn't supposed to be a part of baseball where we had defenders. You know, some of these have been comical, right? Like where we have five guys all essentially standing in the same place on the field. That this was never supposed to be part of the game. There were supposed to be players positioned in certain areas on the field. Is there an argument that this is what baseball was supposed to be? Listen, I, I think baseball is supposed to be, you know, defend the type of hitter you have. And, and unfortunately... Um, you know, people think, you know, that the hitters are just so one-dimensional that, you know, they could they could play them all in, in one spot. And, and once again, I go back to the fact that, God dang, if you're a major league hitter, you, you should be able to beat the shift. And that would have kind of kept things, you know, status quo, if you will. But there's just been a complete buy-in to the fact that, you know, it's an all-or-nothing game. So if you're up there, you try to hit a home run, so that means you pull – 
pull everything and and batting average has dropped off and and things like that so i i think it's a little bizarre that they're kind of forcing the issue to kind of change it back you know so it'll be interesting to see like i said i think batting averages will probably come up a Mm -hmm. little bit because now that line drive is going to get over the second baseman's head and and fall in front of that right fielder um no longer will there be like three defenders with a rover out there to to cut it off and who knows chris davis might end up yeah coming out of retirement right Move the infielders back. God, you, you know. It, by the way, it's definitely the first thought I had when I heard about this. It's like, yeah. well, if you're Chris Davis, you got to at least think about coming out of retirement, don't you? It can yeah. it can it artificially like get action back in the game? Like, is there any way to what you allude to that now hits going to be dropping in? Is there any world in which, if that's the case, you can artificially get back to action and? moving runners over and you know can any of that come back because maybe hitters don't go to the plate assuming they're going to have to swing for the fences every time well i you know i don't know if they didn't want to try to beat the shift i I just think somebody uh, in the front office is is sitting back and and you know thinking well how are we going to bring the game back i think they've realized that they've created just a very sterile dry game that you know i don't think um uh, a lot of baseball fans are, are really enjoying and there are so many great players that it's just become just kind of a cold sterile game okay if you hit a home run that's great if you strike guy out throwing 97 that's great but all of a sudden we've got you know these these so-called best hitters in the world striking out over 200 times and and nobody's even blinking an eye right there's never any kind of situational baseball until the extra inning uh situation and and then even there aren't many guys that even know how to do it i mean man oh man guys aren't even asked to bunt the guys don't even know what a bunt is anymore really and and what the relevance is and um you know and it all kind of trickles right back to well, analytics kind of say that, you know, this is how it should be. Yeah, play, well, play for two runs. Don't play for one run, right? It's... Yeah, yeah. And, I, I mean, shoot, I appreciate the three-run homer. <laughs> sure, <laughs> right. But I'm all but for I, it. Sign I, me up. I think there's strategy involved, you know, how, trying to get a, a starting pitcher out of the game early. And, of course, that's kind of <laughs> – I guess five innings is all they get anyway nowadays. So it's just – it's kind of a just a bizarre kind of game right now. And, uh, you know, hopefully it brings back a, a, just a little bit more strategy so so guys can kind of play along as a fan instead of just sit there and see strikeouts and, and the occasional home run. Mike Bordick is with us here on Glenn Clark Radio. Mike, the players didn't give in on robot umpires. Um, are, are you at all surprised by that? Do you know, given... Given the relationship the players have had with umpires over the years and given the number of complaints that we hear about them, are you at all surprised that they wouldn't agree to to go to robot umpires moving forward? Well, not really. I mean, I'm glad they didn't. I mean, God dang. Baseball is supposed to be, and it's a human game. There, there are mistakes that are made. I mean, uh you know, and umpires, I think, are a part of that. Now, do we want to hold them a little bit more accountable to have, find some consistency? Absolutely. But but I will say this, that uh, I, I think they're a major part 
uh, of what great baseball is. I, I think they give that kind of, you know, understanding that, that it is a human kind of game. It's not just played on, on a board. I mean, my gosh, it's it, like I said, it's already sterile enough. If, if we all of a sudden have just a, you know, a buzzer back there calling strikes and balls, I don't know that players want that anyway. It's interesting. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's I, I would think that a hitter, hitters are going to find that would be pretty tough. You know, if all of a sudden the ball beeps on the front edge of the plate, right? Now you're going to see these sliders that just catch that front edge and break off five or six feet, and they're going to see the ball, or not five or six feet, but a foot on the outside corner. They're going to say, "Well, look where the catcher caught it." Yeah, but it just caught the front edge of the plate, and that's considered a strike. So go so sit down, man. So I don't think they really want that anyway, and and. Man, oh man, that's another side of things where, I mean, if you start eliminating umpires, um, you know, God dang, I just feel like they keep going farther and farther away from just the human side of, of the great sport. That it is. It's a tough one for me, Mike, because like in, inherently, I, I want the calls to be right. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what I want. Yeah, I want, absolutely. But hey, we all do definitely. And, and I will say this: umpires have gotten a lot better than they were. You know, I think, uh, you know, 30 years ago when, you know, I guess I guess most umpires generally had their consistencies, but God dang, sometimes it would be a foot off, off the outside corner. Well, that's what you're going to get with this umpire. Well, <laughs> this is by strike zone, right? What right, I kind of right, deal with learn it. Yeah. how to do. So, yeah. You, you I know, don't know. Mike, obviously this is all, we're still in the center of this work stoppage, and, and uh, let's make sure we call it what it is. It's a lockout from the owners and I think for the most part the public is siding with the players but I think there's a lot more of I'm not siding with anybody because you know none of this impacts me um and, and no nobody's fighting over trying to bring ticket prices down nobody's fighting over um trying to make it so I have to pay less in my cable bill for a regional sports network right like I think there's a lot yeah. of that response You've been through Absolutely. you've been through a work stoppage before, right? Like, you know, you were yeah. you were part of it in ninety four. Can you speak to the players' side of this when they talk about like we have to do this because we have to somebody did it for us, so we've got to do it for the next generation, right? And like when they say things like that, can you speak to what it is the players might be going through based on your experiences in ninety four? Well, I I do appreciate and love the fact that the the union is is staying so strong, I, and I think that's something that you know should really be admired. Um, it's one been one of the strongest unions, you know, not just in the history of sport, but just all you know, all jobs. So uh, I, I think they're doing another great job there. I know that the union, you know, the stuff that we were going through back in the '90s, um, you know, so much of it was just the players just want the you know, a piece of the pie since they're, you know, the product that's out there on the field bringing in the fans and the revenue. If if the revenues go up, then then the players' salaries should go accordingly. And and I think they kind of have, you know, since the owners finally, I guess they opened up their books and and could kind of stop colluding. But uh, I I feel like there's that same kind of feeling right now that, you know, every time there it seems like there's a work stoppage the the underlying theme seems like that the owners just want to break the union and tear it apart. And there've been so many, I think drastic changes in the game that, uh, it, it just kind of feels like 
they want to have complete control of, of like they cut all you know so many minor league systems they cut the drafts back they've changed even youth baseball with with kind of pricing kids out mm-hmm. with the perfect game and and you know this driveline stuff and that's all collaborated with with major league baseball and i i, I don't know i just feel like the the things they've put in place over the last 10 years they're trying to recreate and restructure a whole system of, of an incredible game and and i'm happy that the players are kind of fighting for every inch that they can because i think the owners have gotten a lot um i think the players have kind of conceded on a, on some things um but ultimately the players just want to obviously take the field uh a play and, and play this great game that they they have played their whole life you know as kids and and if we want to continue to try to grow the game and make it you know the national pastime that it's supposed to be, um, then we've got to get it, you know, straighten it out from top to bottom Do you, and, and really, you know, kind of get the kids back involved and man, get communities back involved. It's such a, I don't know, just a lifeline, I think for so many communities. And a lot of that's been taken away, um, which kind of leaves just once again, I said it was a cold kind of sterile baseball environment right now. And, um, I just feel like that's what Major League Baseball has been pushing for. Just just something, whether it be a financial situation. I know the players just want, you know, more competitive balance instead of these teams that are just tanking year in and year out. And, and uh, you know, oh my gosh, how are you going to have freaking uh, expanded playoffs if, if half the teams are, are terrible? I, and and it looks like we're going to see a draft lottery come into play uh, moving forward, which is uh, obviously they hope is going to um, have an impact on tanking and there being less yeah. of a of a benefit anyway for be, for being that bad. It just Mike, the way that you're talking about it, it, it sounds like are, are you concerned on the whole about what all of this is doing to the sport um, in in terms of public perception, in terms of you know not just Absolutely. whether okay yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's one thing to sit back and pick a side between owners and players, but I, I think it's way, way deeper than that. I, I really do. I, I I think there are so many, like, underlying, um, you know, rabbit holes that we can go down as just as far as, you know, keeping players, young players, especially from, from playing the game, um, from getting more opportunities to, to chase their dream and you know, with hopes of being a big leaguer one day. I mean, they, they've done a lot of things that have kind of limited that um, for so many young players. It's it's uh, a little disheartening, to say the least. I understand that. I understand that. Look, I you know, I am. There's a part of me that says, hey, you know, Adley Rutschman shows up in Baltimore, whether it's in April or in June. There's going to be a packed house, and if he's as good as everybody says he is, then everybody in Baltimore is going to be in love with the Orioles again, and. They're going to want to be at the ballpark watching Adley Rutschman play and, and the whole thing. But I get what you're talking about, which is it goes beyond that. It's it's not just about whether or not people are showing up at the ballpark or watching on TV. It's about the relationship with the sport at a grassroots level um, that, that you can't you can't want, help but wonder about how that's been impacted for. You know, I'll give you an example, Mike. I My kid, my, I got a 7-year-old and a 4-year-old. They both want to play lacrosse right now. And there were 100 kids, the first, second, and third graders, that were showed up for the first day of Hereford Rec Lacrosse yesterday. 
Um, yeah. And and I don't know. I don't know what that looks like in the baseball standpoint. You know, I, I just I don't have that answer at the moment because that's what all their friends are doing. That's where they want to be at the moment. No, well, geez, you know what helps youth sports, I guess, in any community is a is a winning franchise. It doesn't hurt. A yeah. Franchise yeah. That 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 helps uh, promote the game in the community. And there hasn't really been a lot of that. And I know that with the pandemic really set things back for fans, obviously not being able to go into the field, um, see the games um, one year and then partial seating the, the next year. I, I, yeah, I think there is, there's a lot of hope on some of the younger players now that the, the, the minor league has been considered, um, you know, one of the top, yep. top organization and all the organizations. So, you know, but obviously uh, it's going to take a lot to overcome some of the teams in the East and whether or not Adley Rutschman can kind of bring that, um, you know, and some of the other younger players, uh, that's yet to be seen. I know pitching is really the name of the game at the major league level, so better find a way to free up some money and, and uh, pay some free agent pitching, that's for sure. So let's let's wrap with this, right, Mike, because there was a, there was a, a report last week, and nobody's nobody's – Backed it up, but nobody's denied it either, which is kind of weird. That before the um, the lockout began, the Orioles offered a ten year contract to Carlos Correa, and that sounds unbelievable to most of us. But you know, it came from a credible reporter um, in the Latin community that that put it out there. What would you think of that? You know, just hypothetically, that the Orioles, given where they are, and and us thinking that right now Carlos Correa individually probably doesn't make the difference, but what would you think of them, you know, if, if the lockout ends next week, saying, no, we're we're very much in the mix, and we'd be willing to pay $300 million to land Carlos Correa? Well, there again, if they got that kind of money sitting around, I wish they'd invested in some pitching, because yeah. that's obviously what's needed, you know, to win and compete in the American League East, or to compete anywhere, you know, and and it would be unfortunate if they spent all that money on one player and then thought they could you know, hoist the trophy with, with just Carlos Correa out here, unless he can, you know, be a showy Otani and pitch as well. You know? <laughs> so that that's kind of what it comes down to. But I also know, just from past experience, watching some of the top free agents come through Baltimore, there's always kind of, oh, yeah, they, they offer contracts, they entertain the idea of possibly playing at Camden Yards, but it's all to uh, get more out drive of the drive up, right, right. Red Sox, so. Yeah. You know, that kind of lays in the wings, too. And it seems like a Carlos Correa, even though, you know, he's one of the more popular players, I would say, in the game, is stuck down there in Houston. He's looking to all of a sudden become more marketable, I, I would think. And and uh, Baltimore's kind of a tough place, especially after, you know, losing so many games over the last four or five seasons. Mike Bordick, what can I plug for you? What can I plug for you personally? Baseball Warehouse, what can we get plugs in for? Yeah, Baseball Warehouse is still going great. I love helping out, giving some lessons, um, doing more more clinics, and really excited about the youth baseball season kicking up. I can't wait to go out and see some of these young kids play. Um, the League of Dreams, a nonprofit, yep. is, uh, continues to do some great things, uh, headed by Frank Kalerik. Um, hoping his son Adam Kalerik gets back on the field soon. That'd course, be great. He's on the forty man with the A's right now, so he's kind of waiting, biding some time. So yeah, some some good things still happening, staying busy right there, and uh, yeah, plug good n- nutrition. You know, just because I eat some crazy things and some meat and stuff, I I'm not against eating vegetables. I just 
believe that the you know if if we want to change some things around you know especially coming out of this pandemic health and wellness is certainly should be at the top of the list for everybody and avoiding a lot of the processed foods i love the idea of eating food with one ingredient you know so whole foods i think is going to be really helpful and can definitely have a a huge impact you know on people's personal lives but if you think about the ramifications of healthcare and things like that and who knows, uh, the next time one of these pandemics comes through, we'll be better prepared. Hearts and livers and marrow, I've seen it all on Mike Bordick's plate <laughs> in recent months. At M. Bordick on Twitter, and of course, find him on Facebook as well, Mike.Bordick.5. Mike, always appreciate you, my friend. Thank you for taking a hey, couple of minutes for us. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Mike Bordick joining us here on GCR. I'm telling you, man, if you haven't seen Mike Bordick on social, you're going to stop and say, what the... The hell is he eating? What is that? I saw some of his workouts and his. his well, he's his, nuts. Yeah, he's the, nuts. The workouts man. are. He's insane. Yeah. But like, he just he shows you his plate, and you're like, what? What am I looking at? Like, what is is that food? And but I mean, he's got to be pushing sixty if he's not no, but he looks there. And he's, he's in he looks great incredible. shape. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable what type of shape he's in. All right, uh, hour number one of today's show is in the books. Also brought to you by Simply the Bets, which returns tomorrow morning, every Tuesday at 11.40. Simply the Bets brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel as FanDuel Sportsbook GM Bruce Billick and VEASAN's Aaron Oster try to help get us ready, make give, a, give us some ideas of how we should be betting. And then if you missed it, our announcement uh, every other Thursday, and it might actually be consecutive Thursdays here during the tournament, um, we're going to be doing a new show called Weekend at Bookies Thursday mornings at 1140. Uh, our buddy Andrew Stecka, who told you he threw out you a nice uh, parlay winner last Thursday related to the Man U Man City game. I played it, and I felt very good about that. Um, but uh, he's going to be joining us on Thursdays, as will Brad Feinberg from uh, PointsBet. Every thir- not every Thursday. It's every other Thursday, but there will be consecutive Thursdays in there based on what's going on in uh, the world of sports betting. Um, so we're looking forward to starting that up this week, the new show Weekend at Bookies, Thursday at 1140 as well. Well, come back in. I want to get. I want to talk a little bit more about the shift thing and, and what, what's going on, some of these concessions that have been made in conversations with uh, baseball players, and some of your responses to what we talked about with Lamar Jackson at the top of the show. We'll get to all of that here in the next few minutes before Jeremy Kahn joins us on Glenn Clark Radio. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit MDGambling help.org that first sip that first bite mm. start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at royal farms choose from a fantastic selection of fresh royal farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world at royal farms breakfast is available day and night it's the freshest breakfast in the world real fresh real fast royal farms 
The newest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of Maryland men's basketball's 2002 NCAA Tournament Championship. As Gary Williams reflects on how the program rose from the ashes of NCAA sanctions to the pinnacle of the sport, and why his perspective of the title run has changed now two decades later. Plus, Juan Dixon, Lonnie Baxter, and the rest of the team relive the moments that ultimately led them to cutting down the nets in Atlanta. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. The great Kurt Angle. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. And Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. The champ, Drew McIntyre. Oh, thank you for having me. The great Ron Simmons. Damn. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le Champion. Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Stay tuned. Your chance to win a million dollars is coming up. Probably not from us. You're listening to Glenn Clark Radio. Yeah, I didn't see the Batman this week, and I don't know that I will, honestly. I just don't know that I'm going to end up seeing it in theaters. And it's not because gr- growing up, I was all Batman everything. Like, that was the funny thing about like Spider Man becoming what launched Marvel in what year was that? 2002? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2002. Um, was that like I was only kind of in on Spider Man. Like, I was not really a Marvel guy in any way. Lord knows I didn't give a crap about Iron Man as a child. Batman and Superman were the superheroes that mattered when I was growing up. When I was growing up, that was it. Like, I cared about Batman, I cared about Superman, and a small extent Spider-Man. It's just that Marvel hit and hit and hit so consistently, and obviously Iron Man raised it into a a different echelon, um, that, like, now I'm just at a point with Batman where I'm like, I still... I still think Batman is one of the most compelling superhero characters ever made, but I'm just out on another dark and brooding superhero movie. I'm out. Yeah, I'm the, not, the biggest me. complaint that I heard about it is that it's super dark the whole time, and it's super like put you to sleep music. Yeah, and the and the volume, the the um, the speaking volume is continues. That's a problem in all motion pictures anymore, where like you cannot hear what somebody is saying because mm-hmm. they don't know how to mix it appropriately. That's an eternal issue. WWE also has that issue, by the way. They don't have no idea how to make. It. Vin, you, no one has ever understood what Vince McMahon has said in the last twenty years. <laughs> WWE programming, um, but I, I just that's not a fun. If I got two hours at this point in my life, I want to have fun. I have no interest in brooding. I'll watch it. I'll inevitably I'll watch it. And and most everybody seems to think Robert Pattinson was a very good Batman. But 
uh, I'll get to it when I get to it. I don't need to sign up for two unpleasant hours. Or more, what is it? More like, th- it's closer to three, isn't it? I think so, uh, I yeah. Think the they usually are these days, the superhero movies. I not need to do that in my life at the moment. All right, back in here on GCR. Today's show is also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy Football. We love Underdog. Great way for you to feel like you're betting. Of course, you can't yet bet on your phone or on your computer in the state of Maryland, but you can play Underdog. They got basketball contests. They got hockey contests. Hopefully, they'll have baseball contests at some point. Um, and you can play player props and parlays and things that make you feel like you're betting, despite the fact that you can't yet actually bet on your phone or on your computer in the state of Maryland. I hope that changes at some point, but nobody appears to be in much of a rush to make that happen. Uh, also, with Underdog, you use that code PRESSBOX and you make your first deposit up to $100. They will match it with free money for you to play with underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy Football app. All right, a uh, couple things to cover here. One, let me get to some of your responses. We're talking about Lamar Jackson and that situation at the top of the show. From Paul and Ovilando, this is a fair question. Hypothetically, if contract negotiations between the Ravens and Lamar were to drag out, do you think the Ravens would be concerned at all about losing in the court of public appeal? Lamar stirs up a lot of emotion amongst the fan base. He said public appeal or public opinion. I know what you meant, uh, Paul. And I, I, I guess what I would say is probably not right now because Lamar isn't demanding a trade because there is no deadline. It's funny, we did this on Friday, and when I saw the Ian Rappaport thing last Thursday, I was like, how is this not a bigger deal? How are more people not talking about this? This is a... Ian Rappaport coming out and saying Lamar is willing to just go ahead and play it out through the franchise tag, like, that's not a good sign. We've all worked under this assumption that it was just going to get done, but that being the first, like, hard report that we got about something suggests they're not trending towards actually getting something done. Now, again, it's not the end of the world. As we know, Dak Prescott went to two franchise tags and still got a contract done, ultimately. It's not as though it can't be done. Kirk Cousins was the exact opposite. Washington knew they didn't want to pay him long-term. Now, why they were willing to pay him the big money on the franchise tag but not willing to pay him long-term, I can't answer that. But, you know, Washington, I think, is all you need to know about that situation. I'm I, I I would say no at the moment because there's no deadline. There's no concern that Lamar Jackson's not going to be the quarterback next year or the year after that or the year after that. As we said all along, he's not actually a free agent. The Ravens control this for three more years. So with no concern that Lamar Jackson's not going to be the quarterback, I'm not sure how much the public is going to freak out about it. Certainly after Lock and Fora's report came out on Friday. I noticed there was a lot of negative reaction to the idea that the Ravens were not offering him a serious contract. There was a lot of negative, this is a joke, this is embarrassing. And I was prepared to kind of go in on it. And then I, I appreciated the friend of mine that reached out and said, hey, you know, just keep in mind, again, it's not, you're reading into that as that's what they're offering, and maybe that's what it is, but it might really be nothing more than, hey, let's throw a number out there just to get things started. And when you do that, you don't ever throw out the number you're willing to pay. You know, like that's... It's the, the basics of negotiations. I'm just at a point when it comes to quarterbacks where, like, negotiations are kind of irrelevant. You know what the market is. The market's been set. Josh Allen set the guardrails. And it might very well be that Lamar Jackson wants more than Josh Allen. That's the way it's worked with the quarterback contracts is the next guy that comes up gets more than the last guy. That's the way that it's worked. 
And so you can be mad about it and say, I don't think he's worth that amount of money, but you don't get to determine that. The notion that the Ravens get to say, well, we like Lamar Jackson, but we like him at a different number is irrelevant. The number is the number. It's whatever someone would be willing to pay, which goes back to why it is that I would demand a trade. This becomes problematic if this drags out to a point where Lamar's camp says, look, if you're just not willing to pay us, we have to to demand a trade. We have to make it uncomfortable for you. And even when that occurs, it's no guarantee that the Ravens would actually trade him, as we saw with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. When you hold, you have the leverage. The Ravens have the leverage of saying, you're under contract. We want to win with you. Lamar Jackson's not going to sit out the season. That would be a nuts thing for him to do. That would be crazy for him to sit out the season. You could say whatever you want about trying to break the system, but if he sits out the season, he's a year further away from getting to free agency, the Ravens continue to hold the cards. Can he make a statement? Could he try to garner a certain percentage of national opinion about the system itself and why it fails, why it's not good for players or not good for quarterbacks? He could, but the players just agreed to a CBA. Like, we're, we're, we're not coming up on another CBA negotiation for years. So I... You, whether you like it or not, your union agreed to this. You can be not thrilled about the system, and you can argue it's not good for quarterbacks because a lot of people have argued the quarterback position should be separated from the salary cap as a whole. There should be a salary cap for the team and then something else for the quarterback position. The teams don't want that because in every quarterback demands they get the max that's available to a quarterback. You're in a situation where you have to pay Teddy Bridgewater $40 million to be your quarterback at that point. Teams don't want it, but you can argue for the players. It's unfair. They have it held over them. Well, we can't pay you this number because you're soaking up X percentage of the cap. Well, their actual value says they're worth that, if not more. I mean, period. It's very simple. Football as a whole comes down to whether you have a quarterback or not. So if you're... The entire concept of whether you're capable of winning a Super Bowl is predicated on one position, then aren't they worth more than 50% of what you pay to football players? Which isn't what they're making. But the, the simple math would say, if it is as simple as you have a quarterback or not, and if you have a quarterback, you have a chance, you don't have a quarterback, you don't, then that player alone is worth more than 50-50 to what it is that you do. So the system might not be fair. It might not be fair to quarterbacks. And maybe there's a world in which Lamar Jackson, I don't know this at all. This is just me spitballing. I don't have any reason to believe it, but he wants to break down the system. The problem is it's not set up to be easily broken down. So we go back to the reality. The reality is somebody's willing to pay him that money. So if Lamar Jackson is simply willing to just play along, say, I'm good, I'm not going to cause any problems, I'm not going to fight, well, then public opinion is not going to change. There is no deadline right now. There is no... Lamar Jackson is a Baltimore Raven for next season. It becomes a problem if Lamar Jackson says it's a problem. Then the Ravens are in an interesting spot. That's what they need to know about right now. They need to know, where's your head at? Are, are you really just happy to come back and play next year on the your fifth-year deal and... It, if you're just happy to do that, I, I guess we can work around that. There is the argument the Ravens can try to load up for these three years and 
say, well, we got three years of Lamar Jackson, and we'll go all in on those three years, and then we'll go from there. It's not practical, because we pointed out the cap numbers of the franchise tag make it very difficult. But they could try it. They could try to do a Rams-like scenario where they just go all in, load everything up, trade for a bunch of players that they know they're not going to be able to have for five years, but let's just throw every we'll throw everything at it for three years and go from there. They could do that. It's, it's possible. It's very un-Ravens-like. Or they could try to trade Lamar Jackson, which, again, if I'm him and they're not making the offer, they're unwilling to pay the number that I want. I would just demand it anyway. In your heart of hearts, what do you think ends up happening? I, I, that's why it's so. I keep coming back to this. I don't have a clue. If conventional wisdom would just say, just pay the man. I, 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 I can't fathom why you wouldn't. Right. I can't fathom. We can say all we want. I say can't fathom. I know the reasons why someone would say you shouldn't. I know the, hey, it makes things more difficult. Hey, you know, he did struggle against the Blitz last year. Hey, you know, he plays a certain way, and you never know when, when somebody might give a punishing hit and it really screws him up. Like, I know all the things that someone would say about why it is that you don't pay Lamar Jackson. Like, I understand all of that. But at the same time, he's your guy. You picked him. He's the guy you threw yourself behind. We know what it feels like in Baltimore to have a franchise that doesn't have a quarterback. There's no world. The alternative is no quarterback. It ain't Tyler Huntley. Certainly not today it ain't Tyler Huntley. There's not anybody out there. That's what we keep talking about. We are desperate around the league for quarterback play. Somebody is going to go into next season thinking Mitch Trubisky can be their answer at quarterback because they don't have other options. Teams are going to spend the entire offseason begging Tom Brady to reconsider. And he's going to be 45 years old. <laughs> They're going to beg him to reconsider. This is the reality of the circumstances of the quarterback position around the NFL. You've got the guy you've got. What is the number? Figure it out. I get it. You don't want to be bent over backwards by a player. I do fully understand that. Our buddy Randy Mueller, former uh, Saints and Dolphins GM, is going to join us tomorrow morning. And he'll say, I know you don't want to be bent over backwards by any one player and just capitulate to their whims. Like, I understand that. But that's quarterback in the NFL now. There's no real way of getting around it. They have the cards. You have next to no leverage. And to say, well, we want to play the leverage we have, okay, but you run the risk of pissing the guy off in the process. And again, it worked out for Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, ultimately. He got a boatload of money, despite the fact that he had to drag it out through two franchise tags in order to do it. It worked out for them. Both parties, ultimately, they, they waited to the last possible moment. But the point being, if you're going that route anyway, why not just take care of it now? Why put yourself through those cap figures in the franchise tag years? Why do that? Who does that help? If you know you're willing to go there, you know what you're willing to pay Lamar Jackson. So just pay it. If you've still internally got questions, if you really are concerned about how he played against the Blitz last year. If you think in doing your work that there has been a serious amount of regression from Lamar Jackson, and I'm not willing to go there over four games of disappointment against the Blitz, but if you believe that's the case, then you should probably be shopping him. I don't think they should do that, me personally, Glenn Clark, but I'm not Eric DaCosta. It's so confusing, man. 
I, I feel this way about all quarterbacks. I really do. You know what you're getting into. Just get to it already. Just get to it. And if you want to say between year and year three and year four, you don't have to do it. Like you can can wait it out. Sure, fine. You can wait it out for a year. But what are you waiting for now? What is it that you're waiting for to not do it? And if you think it's just that Lamar Jackson is asking for something so wildly unreasonable, like let's just say Lamar Jackson's asking for seventy million dollars a year. Something so far fetched that you can't comprehend it, then trade him. Somebody needs Lamar Jackson. I have no reason to think that's what's going on, by the way. I'm going to make that abundantly clear. No reason to think that. But do I think it's possible he's asking for 50? Yep, I do. Because I think that's where quarterback contracts are going. And he knows the TV money that's about to come in. And he knows what that's going to do to the cap. And he knows the money is going to be there. I think it's totally possible. But the point being, you don't get the pick that you want to have your quarterback at $25 million a year. You don't. That doesn't work. We all want... It'd be like walking in um, and they're selling a... What does a Lamborghini run these days? $300,000. And saying, hey, I... I I get it, but I just I feel like I'd rather pay $100,000 for it. Get the F out of here. I don't know how to feel about the shift thing, for what it's worth. I'm in a weird place with the shift. Uh, from Dave. Dave says, Glenn, I feel like it's embarrassing for baseball, but in a lot of ways, the shift also was embarrassing for baseball. I think your point about this not being what we fell in love with is well taken. I don't even know if that's my point, for the record, Dave. It's just I'm throwing it out there because I'm confused about the whole thing. I don't think they should ban the shift because I do think it's sort of a way of giving hitters a pass. That being said, I ultimately don't know that it isn't better for baseball. This is one of those perhaps necessary evils that I don't want but might end up being something I'm good with. That might be about as close as, as I can define my feelings about it, Dave, honestly. I, I have no idea... There was a I I saw something that DJ Stewart retweeted last night. He retweeted a uh, hitting instructor named Marcus Davis, who said the players wanting the shift banned has more to do with how they are valued by front offices than a refusal quote to take what the defense gives you unquote. As a hitter, you do what gets you paid, and backside ground balls, bunt singles over the long haul doesn't do that. And it's an interesting point that's made. The players have brought this up. Why is it that you're not bunting through the shift? Why are not you not forcing teams out of the shift? There's no glory in bunting. It's not just that there's no glory. It's, it's teams kind of openly don't want you to do it. The manager, an old school manager might prefer that you do it. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, an organization, it's the same way we talked about with the extra inning thing. You're getting a runner on second base and teams still aren't bunting. Because analytically, you're not supposed to play for one run. You're supposed to play for an inning. You're supposed to play for multiple runs. You're supposed to swing away, swing for the fences, the whole deal. You're not supposed to settle and play your way for one run. So they're not going to do it because ultimately every time Joey Gallo comes up, your opposing team says, we're going to continue. Even if you bunt every time, we're still going to assume that's a better result than if you hit a home run. We'd rather have you on first base than run it rounding the bases. So we don't care. We're not coming out of the shift. So their point is teams aren't paying guys that get on base. This isn't Billy Bean and the Kevin Euclid. 
they're paying guys that are hitting home runs. Is that fully true? Not fully true, right? I mean, there are plenty of guys that are all home runs that didn't get Chris Davis contracts. Who is that? Who is the, the Chris Carter? Is that the guy I was thinking oh, of? That was yeah. a, like an all home run guy. That, Chris Carter, Chris Davis, Mark Reynolds. I mean, Chris, Chris Davis with a K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Chris Davis, right? Um, there have been plenty of these guys that didn't that didn't get. Chris Davis, the Orioles Chris Davis money. Mm-hmm. Remember, Orioles Chris Davis money got his money because he had more complete seasons those years. Um, I, I'm in a weird place. I'm in a really strange place with the shift. The only thing that, if you want to have your shortstop playing right behind second base, yeah, it sucks for when you Because Freddie Freeman made a great point where he said, you're taught your entire life, hit the ball back up the middle. And then you hit the ball back up the middle and there's a fielder standing there. Yep. Uh, but my bigger issue is putting an extra infielder in the outfield between second base and the right fielder. To me, it's like there should be a right fielder and two infielders on the right side of the infield, and that's where they are. There shouldn't be another guy who's standing 20 feet into the outfield. That's my big issue. But the players will tell you it's more so the guy behind short, behind second base. Right. That's. The, I mean, that guy, and, and it seemed that way. It has certainly seemed like that's where well-hit balls have gone to die the most. Mm-hmm. Like, the guy that presumably did his job um, but had nothing to show for it right. because of it. I, I, I don't know. And I, I kind of – I see a lot of both of them for what it's worth. I see a lot of both scenarios that you're talking about. I'm in a weird – you know, for what it's worth, even if they ban the shift, and I guess they're going to – they are going to do it starting in 2023. It's been agreed to. It's gone. It'll be there this year and then gone next year. I would still presume the way it'll be written is you have to have two fielders to each side of second base. Right. So even in that scenario, you will probably have a shortstop that's lined up literally an inch to the right, to his right of second base, and then the third baseman will creep over towards you know to towards short. Like they're still going to try to cover the the idea that you can complete you can force someone to stand in an exact spot on the mm-hmm. field isn't going to come. You're going to write the rules a certain way, and teams will try to manipulate those rules as much as they possibly can. If the point is, I don't know, how you move an outfielder, if you say, hey, we... I, I don't know exactly what Do it's going to look you'd, like. Do you think you'd see more of the left fielder than moving over to that short fielder position that we're talking that, that's about? That's what I would think, is they would yeah. just sort of say, we'll shade our center fielder a little bit over to the left, a little bit, mm-hmm. and then have the left fielder come be that, that your short fielder, if you will, that 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 guy playing behind the second baseman in that shallow right field, right center field position. I still think teams will attempt to manipulate it however they can based on how the rule is written, and how the rule is written will become really important in how this ultimately works. Because if they write a rule that says, for example, you you know, you know, have to be stationed with, if you are the left fielder in the lineup, you have to be within... 20 feet of left field. Something, whatever. How I don't know how they write it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and Are they going to... They're literally going to put a big X out in the middle of the field in order to say this is where you're li- allowed to, to stand? I, I don't know. I don't. I still think teams are going to attempt to manipulate however the rule is written to whatever extent they can. On the whole, the point that Dave brings up and others have brought up, that like this was the baseball, and that's what I brought up with Mike Bordick. When we say this is getting away from the baseball that we grew up with, well, no, this is the baseball. The baseball we grew up with didn't have shifts. They didn't do that. Well, give us a minute. Um, they didn't do shifts. That wasn't part of the game. So I I don't know. I am in a strange place with this. 
I get why we all think it's embarrassing that baseball's just giving up on it and hitters never adjusted to it. And I remember when shifts were first introduced, like back on the old show that I used to do on the old radio station that doesn't exist anymore, I, I remember saying to people that would call in and talk about it, I would say, look, a generation of younger baseball players is going to learn this. And this is going to be what they know. And they'll adjust to it because they'll be taught, here is how you approach the way you're going to be defended moving forward. And we're not so far into it that that generation of baseball players has gotten here yet, but we basically have our answer. Nope, that's not the case. This is what baseball is now. And I don't know. I, I kind of get it. I kind of do. I don't know that you can force action again because I think you're, you really are to a point where the numbers define you're better off hitting home runs. But can you get a little bit more action? Yeah. Is that ultimately best for baseball? Probably. Is it better for both the players and the owners? It's a more entertaining product for the owners. It's better for the hitters. I mean, I I would think that pitchers would be the ones that would be up in arms about it, right? And we've seen a few pitchers that have, have said some things. Like, um, I don't think that Trevor Bauer is necessarily the guy that you want to be going to for, for a lot right now. Although, to be fair, they're... There were never charges actually brought against him. I don't know how that's all going to play out. It's certainly still awkward, but, you know, he tweeted something out. Uh, it was... Oh, man, I got I to gotta pull up. It was like that you should ban off-speed pitch. What's next? We ban off-speed pitches. Oh, I'll tell God. you, the Richard. I, I specifically remember Richard Blyer on the Orioles getting upset on... He got a ground ball that would have been a double play to get out of the inning, and because the Orioles were playing in the shift, the shortstop wasn't there, yeah, and, but, the, and the but, ball went out. But of the that's outfield. more rare, right? Like that, you don't get as much. You don't get that. You get way mm-hmm. more of it benefits the pitchers than it hurts the pitchers. Like I mean, you you do you get more situations. There was an article, and I can't remember the exact numbers. I read it yesterday from the Athletic. I guess where Trevor Bauer deleted this tweet. It's not as egregious as you think. The the, the Yes, you get more outs. It benefits the pitcher more to play in the shift, but not as drastically as you would think. I There's mean, an article in The Athletic, and I can't remember who wrote it, but it I might, read it yesterday. It might not be as drastic, but it, it has benefit, and it might be part of the reason why they're not... Scr- the idea is it it certainly helps a certain type of hitter, right? Mm-hmm. There's a certain type of hitter that it really helps. Other hitters, it's going to be... Six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. We're not gonna. We don't need to keep the shift, so we're not gonna fight about it. But it's not gonna impact us all that much. To your point, the pitchers might say ultimately it doesn't. It doesn't drastically change things for us. But for a certain type of hitter, it drastically changes mm-hmm. their life. This definitely changes Joey Gallo's life. Oh, absolutely. Not that Joey Gallo is likely to become a different type of hitter, but still, it'll help him. There's no doubt about that. Bad news for the AL East. Um. At the same time, the owners, they think it's better for the entertainment value of baseball. And so I, I, I don't know. I get it. I do. I get it. I understand why it is that we've gotten to this point, whether or not I wanted it. You can go ahead and call Jeremy if you'd like. Um, the robot ump thing. There was a time where I screamed about it, and I probably still am closer to robot umps. Like, I, I definitely still prefer robot umps. I get Mike Bordick's point, and I have said for a long time, I do think 
that the automated strike zone will not be something that unanimously everybody is in love with. It, what he's talking about is the pitch that just happens to sort of clip a small, teensy centimeter of a corner of an automated strike zone and now gets called as a strike. It's going to be a thing, too. Like, that's going to happen. We see this in uh, tennis with the Hawkeye system where, like, you just happen, you miss a shot, but it happens to get the teensiest back corner of white, and so it's a good shot. That's what the rule says it should be, 100%, but be prepared for that. The rule says if it touches even a dot of the strike zone, it's a strike. And if you want robot umpires, you're going to get that. I still think we're probably better off ultimately with robot umpires. And I'm a little surprised that the players are fighting about it. Honestly, I'm a little surprised that's something they're fighting about. Well, I you if you remember, there was an at-bat. Uh, Joe Nathan was pitching. He was pitching for Texas, and he threw like he threw like a slider that caught the corner of the plate, but where it ended up was like yeah. any other batter's box, yeah. and, and Angel Hernandez called it a strike. But, and, and I agree with Mike Bork on this. Robot umpires would probably call that a strike all too. the time. They're going to yeah. the, the way it's going to be the letter of the law. The letter of the law is if the ball touches this hypothetical box in any way, it's a strike. Mm-hmm. So if the uh, literally a, a stitch of a baseball crosses through the absolute upper ninety corner, like imagine it as a soccer net, something that would hit off the post, but because there's no post in a strike zone, it touches it. An automatic robot umpire is going to have no choice. That's a strike. Right. That's the way it goes. And people are going to complain about that. That's going to happen. But if you want to robot umpires, that's what you're going to get. For collateral, that might just have to be part of the collateral damage. I still probably lean towards robot umpires. Just get the calls right. How just, much How much better do you think pitching becomes after that? I think it, it definitely benefits the pitchers. There's no question about that. That's definitely beneficial to the pitchers to go to robot umpires. And that might ultimately be the reason why the players are, are – balking at it is because there's more hitters than pitchers that are employed in the union and uh, they sort of say to themselves that wasn't that wasn't even intention <laughs> um that's where they are um the pitch clock i mean that's a rule that's existed before and then the, the larger bases I, like for example at first base i think we all agree that's a good thing at first base like let's try to limit injuries with larger bases you can say whatever you want about it allowing somebody to get to the base a little bit quicker and that makes it artificial that's fine but p- specifically at first base we've seen enough catastrophic injuries there that I'm all for. And you go play recreational kickball. We put two different bases out. I am all for there being less injury issues at first base in particular. I guess he wasn't there. I guess this is probably him calling back. This is Jeremy Kahn who said, join us. Uh, I mean, you already lost it at some point. But we're good. We're good. We'll get to him right now. It's Monday. Every Monday we talk to Jeremy Kahn. Of course, from the Big Bad Morning Show on 105.7 The Fan. He makes his picks every day at PressBoxOnline.com. What's going on, brother? How are you, my friends? Oh, man, I tried to, my bad. I tried to grab lunch really quick. I like, oh, they haven't called me yet. And then, of course, I get hung up. And oh, call, it's so. my, it's my, blame me. Don't blame Paul. It's my fault. No, sorry. On, on I, that one, that was my yeah, fault. That, I hit the whole button, but it. Well, you know what? You know what? Next lunch is on me. What, what, what were you going to enjoy today, Jeremy? Oh, a delicious uh, Wawa quesadilla. Ooh, we, of course, are, are Royal Farms people here. We uh, we, like, <laughs> we like Royal Farms here at PressBox, but that well, sounds... I know, I know, I know, Jeremy, I know. You don't, you, don't know it, you don't know it to me. I'm just saying, me personally, Glenn Clark, Glenn Clark is a Royal Farms man. I'm, Let's take that but but I'm an equal clear. opportunity guy. It's not like I don't... Uh, I uh, divulge, or I, I get into whatever is near me, you know, yeah. whatever... Whatever's convenient phone. for you. 
All right. I hear yes. you. I hear you. I completely get it. All right. Uh, what do you make of the What do you make of the shift? Let's talk about it. What do you make of it? What do I make of what? Say the it shift. Again? The shift. I hate every shift. I hate the the morning shift, the night shift. No, I. I so there, there, there's a couple thought processes on this. So I don't fully agree with like Trevor Bauer saying that you know it's like taking away changeups from from pitchers or breaking balls or something because like if we look across the board at other leagues we have illegal formations on offense in football we have you know certain types of defense you can't run in the nba now they they've lightened it up and you can run zone but they still have a defensive three seconds and if you're going to trap somebody double somebody you have to do it right away that you can't just stay in the passing lane so um i'm open for this like i i still think they're going to find ways around it like you're just going to yep. put somebody in motion once the the ball is pitched but um I'm all for it. I, I don't. I don't have an issue with it. Like I don't have a problem if they don't change it either. So maybe I'm a little indifferent. But I'm interested to see how this works. To see how good is Joey Gallo when they can't put five guys in right field. And I don't you know? think he, I don't think he's going to suddenly become you know Tony Gwynn. Let's make that abundantly clear. As well, I just said, goes from two twenty to two thirty five. Right. Or something. Joey yeah. Gallo is going to be Joey Gallo. That'd That's, be a good year for him. That'd be a great year for him. Obviously, wasn't he a lawyer in New York? I, Joey just, Gallo. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds. Yeah. Joey Gallo. Right. Joey Gallo. Or is it Gallo? Um, um, look, man, I'm, you know, I, I, it's sort of what I just said. Somebody uh, emailed or the tweeted, Dave said it might ultimately be a necessary evil. And I kind of feel like, I think the reaction to this is it's embarrassing that hitters never adjusted. And I don't inherently disagree with that, but at the same time, there was never a benefit to them adjusting. Like it was never presented as though it would be a good thing for Joey Gallo to bunt his way to first base every time he came to the plate. The teams that he worked for wanted him swinging for the fences every time he came up. There was never a benefit that was presented to players. Say, here's why you should start trying to bunt the way out of the shift. But isn't that a lot like a lot of the Latin ball players when they said when we would say, man, they they sure do strike out a lot. I wish they walked more. Yeah, but they don't. Like, we, we can't they walk don't, our way off the island, right? It's, yeah, and that's what they would tell you. So now they got to adjust, and and that's why you get a lot of really bad ball, uh, really good bad ball hitters like Vlad Guerrero was. Like, I mean, you're throwing ones that bounce in there, and he's rifling them down the left field line for a triple. You yep. know, um, so I, I think we, it's kind of a catch twenty two. You're, it, it's going to help in some areas, it's going to hurt in others, and. Again, I'm I'm really indifferent to it. To me, the the biggest things they're working on all these little things. It's like figure out the money, and then the, everything else will fall into place. Yeah. Like, once they figure out the money, can't we negotiate some of this other stuff on a, on a smaller level and get baseball going? But it, that's what this takes. If 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 giving the owners this is what it took for them to come back to the players' numbers, I'm fine with that, right? Like I, yeah. to your point. The owners really wanted to ban the shift. The players, they're giving up a concession. But it's not something that's drastically changing my life as a baseball fan. I'm not so in love with watching the shift. I don't go to a ballpark and say, God, I hope I get to see 10 shift plays tonight. So if that's what we got to do in order to get closer to playing baseball, by all means, I'm not going to feel strongly about it in any sort of way. It's weird. I, I, I do think that it... It gets a lot of it ruffles a lot of people's feathers, but they're not sure why they, it ruffles their feathers, right? Like they're not really yeah. certain. Even when we brought on Bordick earlier this morning, he's like, "Well, it just feels like they're getting away from what baseball was." But I said back to him, "Like, I hear you, Mike, but like when when you came up, there was no shift. Like, like what yeah, baseball? I mean, let's be honest. They found a loophole in the system where it's like, hey, right? We got to see. Can, can they bunt now? Can they uh, can they uh, go the opposite way? And and again, I do think pitchers will adjust to this accordingly. I think we'll see." You know, pitchers either pounding the ball inside on guys and making sure they pull it and bash it into the ground, or if you get a straight pull hitter, maybe you pitch him outside, away, 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 and see what he does. 
Now that the away, defense is set up. Away, now. away, away, away. <laughs> yeah, away. absolutely. Uh, it's our new chant that we're going to start when we get the games. Um, look, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. I do think they'll adjust to it ultimately, and I don't think it's going to make that drastic of a difference. I think it's the type of thing that sounds shocking that isn't all that shocking. I don't think it really betters baseball that much. I certainly don't think it makes it worse, right? That's that's yeah. that's the gut that I come to after all this. What about the robot umpire thing that the players are still balking at? Where are you with that? I mean, I don't like it. Like. I, People always say we need the human element. Well, if the human element's screwing up, but I, I do like there are sometimes watching something on pitch track where you watch it in real time and you're like, Well, that's that's a ball and then all of a sudden they show you the pitch track and it's like, Well, no, actually it caught the front exactly. corner of the plate. It's like how I don't know, like an umpire's gonna have a strike zone. Like I, I talk about this from a gambling standpoint because Bill Miller is the best pitcher's ump in all of baseball. So whenever he's on the mound, it's like, Hey, you might want to lean towards betting and under because He's going to make Garrett Cole look like he's the second coming of Bob Gibson, you know? Like, it, it turns into something um, of that nature when when he's on the mound. Does that mean that guys aren't going to hit the baseball and a pitcher's going to be bad that day? No, but it's going to be a lot more difficult on them. And so I, I think that you're going to see these guys adjust, but uh, I, I don't <laughs> – I don't like the idea of robot umpires. I I'm fine, but like, how do can you turn around and argue with a robot ump? Does that mean you're automatically wrong? Do machines not make mistakes? I, I, mean, don't, I don't know. I, I mean, essentially, what they're going to say this is the rule's the rule. You have to deal with it. It's it's collateral damage, and to some extent, I'm. I, I would accept collateral damage of what you're talking about, that thing that we all don't think is actually a strike, but by the letter of the law, it is a strike, so it's going to be called mm-hmm. that way. I'd accept that to make sure we got the calls right. Like, I would accept but, but wait that. wait until we have one of those games, Glenn, that the, umpire, the robot ump is off. And they find out afterwards, and it's like, well, see? I, I, and boy, you say that, man, but like as a tennis fan, and this is something that I can speak to a lot. There is no wrong. Like, it is just Bible. Whatever that machine says a shot was, mm-hmm. it there is no going back and arguing about it later. Somebody saying, hey, I need you to look at this again. We That machine always, always, always works. Always. And there is no – it is not controversial. Does it is it never – it all uh, Jeremy, always <laughs> – Always works. Like it's insane. So because it always like I, I think this is the tennis fan in me, the guy that's been like that, that would would desperately love to have that available to me when I play tennis with my buddies on a Sunday afternoon because there's a million times where we're all just sort of like we don't know. We weren't looking down at the ground. We were getting ready to try to hit a shot we think it might have been in, like you know, thankfully we I all just, like each other. I can't other. wait for Manny Machado to turn around in a robot. Oh. You can't be serious. Oh, that, that's definitely the John row line going to occur. <laughs> sure. Smashing is bad. <laughs> it's going to happen. That's definitely a thing. Um, what? What? Okay, so one more on baseball. When you saw, and again, we got to be fair about this. This was a credible Latin American reporter. Like, this was not some blogger somewhere. I, the, the reaction to this Carlos Correa thing last week I thought was was misguided because there were a lot of people that tried to trash the dude. And mm-hmm. that's not fair. This guy is a credible base. You know, he's a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America. This isn't a troll on the internet that was trying to get people to believe that Hollywood Brown was quitting football in order to play video games. This mm-hmm. was a legitimate reporter who threw out there that the Orioles offered Carlos Correa 10 years and over $300 million before the lockout began. And all of us here are wildly skeptical for good reason, right? Like, for good reason, we're wildly skeptical because, you know, We've been around this organization. They've never done something like this. So, of course, we're going to be skeptical. And as I've said to people, 
you know, maybe after, you know, after reading the report and talking to him, I feel like there's a 20% chance that it's true. And that's unfair to him because he's a credible person. It's just that I have to put my own skepticism in there. Where are you with your thought process based on, like, you know, is it possible they really did this or they would do this? And then let me go to the second step, which is, should they have or should they be? Like, is would there be sense to the Orioles trying to consider getting into the Carlos Correa sweepstakes when the lockout ends? Well, yeah, well, I mean, a couple things. So let's talk about the CBA. If the CBA changes things on how your business model should be structured and as far as, like, keeping minor league players a little bit longer – um, just so their their clock doesn't start. If that changes, what if it changes from an aspect of, you know, you, you start looking at um, losing games doesn't necessarily give you the the best pick in the draft that they do to go to some lottery format, which still losing games is still going to help you get a better pick. Um, it just might not be guaranteed. Not being number one, right. right? Yeah. Um, so m- maybe it does make sense. And then the other thing that I heard is if it was true that they were talking about front loading the contract. Yep. So now they're still keeping their their salary down, you front load it. So then when, when it comes time to go out and spend on other free agents, instead of him being a $40 million a year guy, then maybe, maybe you're getting him at 22 or 23 million, depending on the average. I, I didn't do all the math, but I'm just saying like, I think that could make sense to pay a guy 45 million in a guaranteed contract, paying him 40 some million in the first year and the second year. So it's lighter the rest of the way. Uh, so it gives you some flexibility when you're not spending a lot of money. Cause let's be honest, they're not spending any money at all outside of filling gaps and, and plugging holes here with, oh, here's a $2.5 million middle infielder that's been around the league. Uh, here's another one that you spent $4 million on. Here's a middle reliever for $6 million. Like That stuff can add up relatively quick, but um, I'm going to be interested to see when they start spending money on like middle relievers and really making that push to say, okay, now we're ready to compete, which I still think is two years away. So I wouldn't have a problem with it. I don't think it makes sense from their business model. But I don't think it's like the worst thing in the world. It, it does get some interest in your fan base. It, it's certainly that's the part that you. I can't measure the value of that of of people in the city believing like the Orioles are a thing again. All of a sudden, if you do something like this, and again, we all know Carlos Correa alone does not make the Orioles a contender in the next five years. And the the immediate follow up is you know there's a couple things. Why would you have done this for Carlos Correa, and not Manny Machado? Well, it was different decision makers, right? Like okay, we can do all these things. Um, you know, where's the pitching going to come from? Yeah, it's, that's, a, that's a huge thing. I, I, I can't say it's insane is the only thing. I, like, I can't say that it's the best thing for this franchise to do in trying to build a World Series winner in the next five to ten years, but I don't think it's as nuts as some people are trying to suggest that it is. Like, I think it, yeah. it, it, it can't be the only – it's the same thing I said when they – I had no problem with them spending money on Chris Davis. Clearly, I didn't know what was going to happen. But I said then, I like this as long as it's not the only money you're spending. If this is the only money you're spending, this is nuts. This is insane. If if you're doing this with Carlos Correa and it's your way of saying, we believe we're going to have more revenue and we believe that we're moving into a new world where we can compete and be relevant, cool. And you can sign a pitcher in two years, whatever it's going to be. By all means, let's let's talk about it. Let's do it. But if if it's this and then nothing ever again, nah, no, no, no. Don't do that. I, I was in the group of signing Chris Davis. I got no problem admitting it. It's, it's weird hearing people now, like a lot of people are like, no, I, I always said I didn't want him to sign him. It, it made perfect sense to, to, to sign Chris Davis and have a power left-handed bat. Now, I think we all thought he would eventually end up like um, uh, Adam Dunn or Rob Deere or one of these guys where it's like, okay, he's batting 210, but he still hit you 30 right, bombs. Right. Like there's something of a plus in there. But the fact of the matter is like, 
nobody could predict it how much he fell off and how bad he actually was, um, according to you know just baseball standards. But uh, I thought that would be a precursor to signing Manny Machado, and then we'd be well on our way with the foundation that they wanted with the young superstar and the power left-handed bat at first base DH. But uh, look, it, it totally fell apart, and people still go back to the Nelson Cruz thing. I think there were a lot of baseball people didn't think Nelson Cruz would still be playing and not just playing, playing at this level. So, um, yeah, those are misses, but it's, it, that happens to organizations all the time. It's just some of the organizations are better equipped to handle a really bad contract to recover from more money at it. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously in hindsight that the post 2014 off season, just, you know, an unmitigated disaster for the Baltimore Orioles, but there's, it's 2022. There's nothing we can do about that at this point. It's what it is. Um, all right, Jeremy Kahn is with us here on GCR. Uh, Jeremy, what do you make? I, I want to get your because I don't I don't know you to be the hater that some people are. You of course saw what unbelievable unbridled joy everyone got from watching the Duke thing on Saturday night. Were you yeah. were you did you experience the same joy? Do you think it's almost grotesque how much joy people have taken from it? Like what what is your response? And I say this as someone who admittedly unbridled i just wanted to high five every stranger that i saw but i still think that it was low rent that like the maryland basketball account was tweeting about duke i thought that was sad and, and kind of pathetic um yeah. like I, I i personally experienced a great i admit i experienced an unbelievable amount of joy watching that unfold yeah i guess for me outside of um there's certain players i don't like uh, i would say like there there are certain boxers or mma fighters that i'm not fans of but the weird thing about that is when you get the root against them and they get their ass kicked. Uh, the by the way, can you can you please of, can you please name them so I can see if I know any of them personally to come? Well, I don't like me. Colby Covington. Well, okay, you know neither. Neither do I. I don't like Colby Covington even a little. He's bit. A, and yeah. I don't care about his political views. He's just yeah. a loud mouth. Yeah. Ass, he's a, uh, exactly, you know. and and he's and he's not. His substance isn't enough. You know, like he's not such a great fighter. He's a he's obviously a very good fighter. He's really good. Yeah, but he's treated as though. He's he's the greatest fighter of all time because he makes a lot of noise and gets a lot of interest, and that's what the UFC. It's part of the reason why I, my my interest in the UFC waned was because they decided that carnival barking was more important than actual competition some time ago. Yeah. Well, and I guess to to that point, I've never been a Duke hater. I don't like Duke. I don't dislike him. I'm kind of again uh, Switzerland with them. Yeah, way to way to take um, a I've stand. Yeah. Well, I appreciated some of the players that are there, and then I, I've been the same with Coach K. But the one thing. It, he's always seemed I, like I love the handwritten letters and the stories that come out about when he's going after recruits or when he's had interactions, but there's a reason for all that. I always felt like he's been a little entitled and he likes to let you know when he feels like something you know. yeah, unfair to him and, and come out after you uh, for things like that. And like the handshake line thing was, was something that jumped out to me. Like the, 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 the coach there, uh, what's his name? Chris Carowell. Uh, yeah. Carowell. I was going to say Caraway, but that's a seed. Uh, Carowell. Like, he played four years there, never crossed paths with Hubert Davis, and then said that because UNC didn't do something to oh, Coach K, oh, it's a it's goodbye. It's just everything about this just reeks of Duke entitlement. It just reeks yes. of – and, it, it, again, it's so delicious. Like, I want to bathe in it. You know what I mean? I, it's, it's just so – you are such a child – you are so lost in the way that the world works that you genuinely believe it was an affront to humanity that North Carolina didn't, you know, give Mike Shashevsky a rocking chair before the game the last time you guys played. Like you are so lost out of how, as to how the world works. Well, and you know the other funny thing is, so when the the story came out that Coach K asked the uh, 
be in the Chicago region. Like he wanted to be the right, you know, the one. The if, if they end up with a one seed, be in the Chicago region because his family's from there, and it's going to be his last season. And the story had come out that um, all the one seeds get the request where they. No, like not all the one seeds. Gonna... It was reported that literally every team in the country gets asked okay. what, where, we, and not if you're a one seed, if you're the one seed, because only the one seed gets to choose. So that's what the NCAA said. The NCAA says, we ask every team in the country. Now, you can choose to believe that, that really, they're calling High Point and USC Upstate and SIU Edwardsville and saying, hey, guys, if you happen to be the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament, SIU Edwardsville, where do you want to be? Or you could believe that maybe there's probably more truth to the idea that they were trying to do Mike Shashevsky a solid because they think that he deserves having a solid done for them. Done I got, for I got them. news for you. If SIU Edward, <laughs> Evansville yeah, picked, Edwardsville. The same, yeah, picked the same place that Gonzaga wanted to play, then they're going to get what they requested. Yeah. So um, as, as they, they might most likely be a 16th seed or somewhere that bright. But, but like it was just the fact that he didn't pick something that was best for his team. He requested something that was best for him. I, I don't know why that like some of that stuff rubs me the wrong way. Like to me, the ultimate goal should be winning and standing on that stage and walking out on top. Playing in Chicago doesn't behoove you. And by the way, anybody that Coach K wants at a game, they can. Be yeah, they there. can. They, they can, can make it. it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's going to really sure. struggle to buy a plane ticket for somebody to come to Charlotte instead, right? Yeah, his little brother Quincy that uh, can't afford to fly. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm pretty sure that he would pay for Quincy to get there, right? If that were the case, really? and I don't know if he has a little brother named Quincy. I, who knows? Who knows? 100 percent right. But no, oh <laughs> my God, Shashevsky. Yeah, oh Quincy Shashevsky. The uh, the Chris Carowell thing. I just wanted. I just wanted to bathe in it. It was just yeah. so petulant. It was so. And and this is what I tell people about the experiences I've had down at like they they are on a different planet where they genuinely believe that they are more important because they go to Duke or because they're you know I, I, I we know we know people in our lives that have no association with Duke for any reason but decided they were going to be Duke basketball fans because they didn't you know they they wanted to embrace something that won you know like whatever it was that that they think it makes their themselves more important because of their association with Duke basketball. And uh, oh god, just being able to watch that institution crumble, like being it they genuinely couldn't believe this could possibly happen. How did you not understand yeah. that this was the script for how this went? That we could just yeah, he's, celebrate. He's god of basketball. Right. Hey, look, he's a great great coach, great recruiter. Um, I do think a little full of himself as uh, no question about longer that. and longer in his career. Yeah, I mean, he tried to. He was. He was. He screamed at Dylan Brooks because Dylan Brooks had the audacity to not just take a shot clock violation at the end of the game in the NCAA tournament a couple years ago. Yeah, so he screamed at. I mean, he is there. And by the way, this happens with a lot of guys where they are very poor losers. Like, yes, I do appreciate like Bill Belichick shaking somebody's hand after the game, which routinely he does. There might have been a few times. There have been a few times where he's he been has, abrasive about it, but yes, he's he's always yeah. done it. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the handshake goodbye, see you, and then right. walk out. Right. But um, but there are coaches that like Harbaugh is a terrible loser. Terrible. You you talk to him after uh, John Harbaugh. You talk to him after a win. He's not always the a, best guy ever. You say that he's not always a great winner either. He tried to fight Forrester in Charlotte one year. This is not yeah, a joke. <laughs> like he literally <laughs> attempted to get into a fight with him. He had to be separated by the late Darren Sanders. Like. It was uncomfortable. What um, did Drew do? Oh, I, it, he, I, didn't even, it, I can't even remember. It's funny because like Drew, Drew reminds me how innocuous it was every time. I had gone into the locker room after the press conference, so like I missed also the most hungover I've ever been in a football game in my life. <laughs> I should not have been working that day. 
we we hosted a party at Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s bar the night before, and I, they just kept feeding me shots all night. And I never should have worked in a football game, so I was out of it. I mean, I was utterly out of it. And it was a miserable – I couldn't even tell you anything about that Panthers team. I think Dan Morgan was playing for the Panthers at that point. I mean, it was, it was an awful Panthers team before Cam Newton. And I just remember all of a sudden there being a, a massive hubbub. And everybody started screaming in the red, hey, what's going on? What the hell is going on? And I, I had no idea. And I still didn't know idea an hour later. And then Drew was like, started talking to me about it. He's like, can you believe what he did? And I'm like, what do you mean? And he starts laying it out there. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, see, some of that wild. just sounds like there are guys that are just bad losers. Like once the game's, I don't get it. And the, the thing that drives me nuts is that people's answer is just get rid of the handshake line. No, no yeah, we, an adult. Yeah, like, the, the week you couldn't do the show because you were doing your national show, we we talked about that the entire morning. That's the the Juwan Howard thing. Like, what? H- how sad are we as a society that we can't just go say good game afterwards? Like that we can't just put all of the. How pathetic is it? And that it was obviously particularly embarrassing for Juwan Howard. And and you know nothing nothing has come out since then about what might have been said otherwise that would have set him off. And and if somebody you know used a racial slur or something like that, that's a huge problem. But yeah. th- that you're incapable of just putting aside – you're so mad about a timeout instead of just being mad that you got your butt kicked. And you can't just say, hey, good, good game. Go good game and deal with it and go back and coach your team instead of coaching somebody else's team. It is amazing how butthurt some people get when they lose over things that we look at and say, it's kind of inconsequential. Like if you wanted to call – if you have three timeouts left, you can still use them and insert players that don't get games. Like why not be mad at Michigan State on senior night for – uh, calling a timeout and then subbing in everybody for subbing in. Hey, you sub in, you kiss the no, floor, it's, it's, you sub back out. Right, it's, it's, it's the unwritten rule you know, thing. Kind of, yeah, it, it, It's just it's one of those weird things where I'm watching going, this seems a little over the top, but okay. Like, couldn't you have just – there's you're up 10 with 40 seconds left. You're winning the game. Can't you just sub all those guys in to play the last 40 seconds? Th- that would make more at sense At the end of the me, game, yeah. have them kiss the floor? I don't know. What, the other thing I would say is at some point, like, if you – I think we all know the difference between something that somebody's doing that's outside of basketball. Like, if you're outside of the sport, right? And it's, yeah. a, it's the thing from the, like, I, I thought it was wrong that John Harbaugh ran a run play at the end of the game because why risk getting your player getting hurt? But that's my yeah. problem. That ain't Vic Fangio's problem. Like, yeah. th- Vic Fangio being mad about it is insane. It's, like, th- that's nuts. I have a problem with it because I don't want any of the Ravens players getting hurt doing something that didn't help them in any way. I can have that problem. I can take John Harbaugh to task for it. But what does it do to you? Like, how is your life any different? Because they ran a running play at the end of the game. Like, honest yeah, to God. What again, is- you know, with, with that situation, too, I didn't like it. But it's not a hill that I'm willing to die on. Like, oh, my God, this is the most absurd thing ever. Right. I, that's why I always said, like, if you're a Ravens fan, why wouldn't you be mad at uh, exactly what you said? If you're like, running a play yeah, where a guy could get hurt. I'm mad, I'm mad about that. But what in the F is Vic Fangio mad about? <laughs> like, how does this impact lost you? The game. Right, and that's exactly what it is. And now he needs to distract from the fact that his team got his butt kicked. All right, before I let you go, I, I saw um, – I, I wanted to run this by you. What what would your form of tor- torture be? So you shared the story. And have, has, has this been confirmed, the story about uh, the Ukrainians trapping Russian soldier, soldiers in an elevator? Have we gotten – Yeah, con- it has been confirmed. It's been confirmed. That really happened. Yep. What would be the most torturous thing that you could experience in the span of a day? Well, I, I'll tell you right now, like, you know how, like, some people would say if you put on this type of music or maybe watch so that, this or listen, like, 
I told you a long time ago, I have a really weird thing with the sound of ripping cardboard or the oh, styrofoam right. being pulled out of a box. I forgot about that. It hits me in the back of the jaws and it makes me dry heave. And I have no no idea why. That sound, like fingernails on a chalkboard don't bother me. It's not a great sound, but it doesn't. You rip cardboard in front of me, it makes me want to throw up. And I don't know why. I think so people, if you put me in a room okay. and just repeat I'll tell you anything you need to know. Yeah, that, it will get all the secrets will come out in that moment. I'm telling you, people think that I was doing I was sh- the night that I had to go, I had to pay the bet that required me to go to the Smash Mouth concert. <laughs> people to this day think I was doing shtick. No, I'm telling you, I had a level of anxiety watching that that I can't, I had to. Tr- I, the people couldn't believe that I was turning my phone on and like openly making fun of the band around people that were there happy to see them. Like, and people were very, like, they're turning around. I didn't, I couldn't get a friend to go with me, by the way. I offered all week to everyone I know, I will pay for your ticket. And nobody I'd have been would. with you. I'd have been miserable oh, with you as well. I, my anxiety kicked in a way I can't possibly describe. I, it made my skin crawl watching this. And I, I wanted to die in those moments. Um, well, I didn't know if you know this, but somebody once told me. Oh, you son of a... And by the way, oh, my, 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 my buddy, John Proctor, uh, who I go play trivia with, literally every every week finds a way to, to sneak in a Smash Mouth song in between right. trivia questions, that son of a bitch. Like, How many Smash Mouth songs does he know? Uh, <laughs> he's found a new one every week, man. Every week he finds another one. It's insane. Um, so that is very much, and I'm, I don't even just, not even only Smash Mouth, but like something where, where the people involved, it's, it's the cringe factor. It's, you don't know how embarrassing this is and I have to watch you do it. I had, and I, I love him. I had a former producer named Ryan and I love him to death. He made, remember when Vine was a thing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was trying to become like a Vine star and he made a page of terribly unfunny painful vine videos and i it was true torture because of the cringe it's the it's watching the dinner party episode of the office it's watching scott's tots it's that is torture to me now you can separate it because those aren't real people right like when real people aren't in on it that is the definition of torture when you don't realize how bad or how painful it is for everybody else. It's it's one thing to watch something that's bad. It's another thing, like, some things are purposefully bad. William Hung kind of was in on it, right? I, I don't think Smash Mouth was in on it. I, like, I think they genuinely thought they were making good music and that, you know, they had fans, so clearly. Um, my old producer like was not in on I like circle on that because everybody knows that Packer's a huge William Hung fan. So. That's true. That's a great point. Yeah. Packer loves him some <laughs> William Hung. <laughs> All right, what's coming up on the Big Bag Morning Show this week? Uh, so Rob, Rob went on a, a bourbon trail. So How sure we'll hear a little bit about oh, that. Oh, oh, so he's back. You all. Are, I was about to say, yeah. when is the next time you all three will do a show together? Well, Ed's, leave, Ed's uh, of course he he's is. getting ready to fly out right now to Florida. Of course so he is. It'll just be Rob and I the rest of the week, of I think. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I talked about I did see the new Batman movie. Okay, so I, I did not. And I have to admit to you, Jeremy, it's because the DC thing. I am not... There has not been a single DC movie since Dark Knight Rises that I have felt inclined to go see in a theater because I'm just at a place in my life where, like, I can't... Investing three hours into something that might be good but isn't necessarily fun, I don't know, man. It's just not a way I can spend three hours of my night. The only other thing, like, the Suicide Squad movies I thought were okay. Um, I didn't think they were anything special, but I thought they were entertaining. 
the Peacemaker thing is the best thing that DC's done since, uh, well, the the first Wonder Woman was decent. The rest of them, you can have all of them. Like, they're, like Aquaman trash. Um, and there's a cameo in, uh, in Peacemaker in the final episode that is so amazing, so funny, if you haven't watched I, it yet. I am, I, Peacemaker is perfection. Like, I, it's perfect. Yeah. I literally, this is not a bit, Jeremy. I wake up every morning. And in order to get, because I always try to do crunches when I wake up to get my day going, I literally, I, I'm not kidding, every goddamn morning, I put the I song it. on, I do it every day. It's that well, perfect. So the new Batman is dark. It's it's really dark, and I don't mean like visually, it's just, uh, so Paul Dano's playing the Riddler, and he does a phenomenal job of just being an absolute creep. And there's some funny stuff mixed into it, but it's primarily like, he's just a dark creature. and. Uh, the Batman stuff's totally different. I, I thought Pattinson did a good job for the role he was playing. Uh, I like the Colin Farrell stuff with him being the Penguin. If you'd have given me a hundred guesses and and didn't tell me it was Colin Farrell, I would have never guessed it. Wow, uh, wow. So I, I thought there's a lot of good things. It's really long though. Like I was in the movie theater for like three and a half hours. That's what I'm saying. With man. a half an hour of previews, man. It was, and um, you know, so I thought it was really well done. I'm interested to see which direction they take it in. Is you know they leave it open for more, but uh, but yeah, it was good. I'm gonna watch it, but I'm gonna watch it on HBO Max. I can't I can't carve out that much of my day for for dark. It's a like, lot. Yeah. It's just I, I, like I gotta go have fun. I gotta go enjoy my experience. People can say, you know, that makes you a child. I don't know, man. You can say whatever you want to say. I just can't I, I can't invest that much time into something so dark. I'm I think not it was there. Barry Wood that first said it's a lot to someone. Yeah, and he was right. Yeah. It is. Yep, it's, it's a, a lot. lot. It's a lot. All right, at Jeremy Con one zero five seven. Hey, uh, you were a net positive for me yesterday. I couldn't. I didn't oh. cool. I didn't cool you off, and I didn't. No, I, and I'm mad because I won the game that you wanted yep, me to lose. Yep, and I, then you I did. got I got snake bit on two other ones. I lost Utah by a half a point, and I have no idea how the Memphis game didn't go over the total down the stretch. They just couldn't make a bucket. But. Um, so, but it was it a net. It, it was a net positive. So bad news for yep. you. I'm gonna keep riding. I'm gonna keep riding oh, nice. for a little while. I'm back. I'm back on. I'm back on the wagon uh, with you well, and your picks. Yeah, I've had a bunch of winning days in a row. So hopefully we keep it going today. Today's kind of a lighter day and some ugly NBA games. But I, I, I like the big favorites tonight. And uh, uh, who was it? It was Miami and, and Minnesota. Uh, yeah, and you can find his picks, PressBoxOnline.com, every day. Jeremy Kahn, appreciate you, my friend. We'll talk to you next Monday, all right? It's Always, man. Thanks. Jeremy Kahn, 105.7 The Fan, The Big Bad Morning Show, and his picks every day at PressBoxOnline.com. And again, the only one I didn't pick, and I've said this before, although, ironically, I didn't play the Suns yesterday because he, he picked the Bucks to cover. And I was like, I don't want to. If I sit down and watch the game, I don't, I don't want to take the joy out of it. I, I've said this all the time. I hate betting against the teams that I root for. Because it takes the joy out of the end of the game scenario, right? And so I, I did, however, because he picked Michigan State to cover, I did bet that one. And then I felt bad about that because there was that moment, you know, in the second, if you watch any of the Maryland Michigan State game, and I flipped over as I was, I was really paying attention to the Navy game and the Suns game, but I flipped over because all of a sudden it, was, it went from a 21 point game to like a three point game in the second half. And you're like, what the hell's going on? And so I started to have those feelings where I started to feel bad. I'm like, I am conflict. I am <laughs> conflict in these moments. Uh, ultimately, the pick ended up being right, and Michigan State did cover as they won by what ten. Yeah. Um, but it, I, I don't. That's why I don't like doing it. I don't like betting against a team that I root for because I don't like having those feelings uh, late in the game when that team has a chance to win or, or do something dramatic. There's nothing worse than when they don't cover and don't win either. Like. 
that if you bet Michigan State six and a half and they win by five, it's just the most empty feeling you could ever possibly have. We're like, you've done nothing for me. Um, but yeah, I don't like doing that. So I, but I did, I did bet against Maryland. I didn't bet against the Suns. I should have bet against both because both um, the Bucks and Michigan State ended up covering. But still, for the day, it was a net positive betting with Jeremy yesterday. So I will do it again today. And I, uh, the way that I do it is he bet he identifies his top plays, so I'll bet a little bit more on his top plays and a little bit less on the rest of the picks that he does. So that's that's the way that I handle that. All right. Um, quick reminder that if you want to guarantee your spot for the NCAA tournament in the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel, you should email events at sportssocialmd.com. Which day do you want to be there? Do you want to spend all of Thursday, all of Friday? Do you, want to, you need to email them and say, hey, we're coming. We're camping out. We're living in the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino Hotel for the first couple days of the tournament to make our bets, win some money, have some fun. But make sure they've got a spot reserved for you. So email them right now, events at sportssocialmd.com, and they'll make sure they've got it covered for you. There is no better place to be. It's going to be a glorious few days. At some point during that first weekend, I will be out at Live Casino in a hotel, and I can tell you that at some point this weekend, I believe I can tell you it's going to be Sunday for the selection show, I'll be hanging out in the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino in a hotel, and I think we've got a special guest who's going to be joining me as well. So a lot of fun, looking forward to it. No better place to be than the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel for big events like this. Quickly from uh, Ron. Not Ron and Owings Mills, though. A different Ron. Ron says, Glenn, to your point about Lamar Jackson, it's interesting and it's compelling because I don't feel like anybody really knows what's going to end up happening. You say it's most likely that ultimately at the end... I, I, yeah, Ron, I guess I'm saying it's most likely, but I'm not even... I'm not trying to base that on anything other than speculation. I've got no information about how this is going to go one way or the other. So I do think that's important. I'm speculating that it's most likely that still that ultimately they just skip ahead and get it done at whatever number it is. You made a point about him trying to break the system. Again, I'm not making that point. It's just been speculated by some that he might be trying to break the system. I want to be very clear about that. You made a point about him trying to break the system. Ultimately, what would that look like? How would a player break the system? It's a great question, Ron. In part, going a series of short-term deals would be the extent of breaking the system that you could do right now. Saying, I'm never going to put myself in a position where I'm not one of the top three paid players in the NFL. You want to have me every time the numbers change? We're going right back to work. And the truth is you can do that even if you have a long-term deal because you can do like what they did with Patrick Mahomes or you can put these sort of situations in place where the team and player can revisit the deal a few years down the road. And if everybody's happy, they're going to be happy to make you that type of paid player. That's why it doesn't make sense. None of this makes sense that it would involve the franchise tag. If you're trying to complain about the franchise tag, if that's what you're trying to break, is the end of the franchise tag. And players have complained about the franchise tag. It is unfair to players. Let's be abundantly clear about that. It it gets them further away from hitting the open market to, to no fault of their own, only for the fault of playing well. So if what you're trying to do is, on behalf of all players, break the franchise tag, I, I don't know, f- flat out refusing to re-sign with the team that drafted you and saying it's not fair that the system allows a benefit to the player that 
the team that drafted you, I, I guess, but if the team that drafted you is offering you the best offer, why wouldn't you just want to have the best offer? I don't know how you break that outside of, again, CBA negotiations, and they didn't break it in CBA negotiations. So I am at kind of a loss there. Come back in. We'll get a tidbit. We'll get tubular. Oh, Brian Powell's going to set up. A, we're going to do another bracket contest this year. We're going to do a charity bracket contest the way that we did with the bull picks. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll work on that this week, Brian. I will work on a, a strategy for that. We'll come back in. Tidbit, tubular, wrap it up. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgambling.com. Help.org. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. Glory Days Grill's St. Patrick's menu is now in full swing, and it's their most popular seasonal menu all year. New in 2022 are their smoky thigh wings with Guinness grilling sauce, a house-made Guinness barbecue sauce. Fan favorites also include their corned beef and cabbage, the shepherd's pie with Guinness braised ground beef, the Glory Days Reuben, and the Rachel. Enjoy a pint of Guinness or Guinness Baltimore Blonde. The St. Patrick's menu is available for the whole month of March. Come in for great food, cold beer, and basketball. Find Find out more about Glory Days Grill and get your order in online at glorydaysgrill.com. The newest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of Maryland men's basketball's 2002 NCAA Tournament Championship. As Gary Williams reflects on how the program rose from the ashes of NCAA sanctions to the pinnacle of the sport. And why his perspective of the title run has changed now two decades later. Plus, Juan Dixon, Lonnie Baxter, and the rest of the team relive the moments that ultimately led them to cutting down the nets in Atlanta. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out BuyAToyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. If you miss anything, don't forget that you can find whole shows later on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon Podcasts. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Yeah, Paul brought up during the break. Yes, there has been a pitch clock rule in baseball. That's you know what the players have conceded is essentially that there are going to be penalties now moving forward. They're not really conceding on the rule. The rule has existed. It's just that it's not been enforced. 
Um, but we've seen the clocks are there in the stadiums. They exist. And I compare it to the kind of the serve clock rule in tennis, which is very rarely enforced because essentially it's more like a, a suggestion. We're going to put the clock here, and we're just telling you not to be egregious. As long as you're not egregious, we're not going to call you for serving a second or two late. Just don't be egregious. And I've, I sense that's what the pitch clock thing has been in baseball. Like, as long as you're not being egregious with it, there's not going to be a problem. Well, nobody's really been all that egregious, so there hasn't been a problem. Now we're getting to a point where, no, we need to zero in on. We need to zero in on making the games be quicker. We can't have the games go on forever. We don't want four-hour baseball games that are starting at 7, 7.30 on a, on a weeknight. That's not good for the sport. We want to move it along. So I don't really have a problem with that one either, to be honest with you. To your point, Paul, 12 seconds does seem like pretty quick. It, it seems quick. There's no doubt about it, but it's what it is. Um, Andrew wanted to know how I feel about uh, Kirk Herbstreet. So, yeah, if you missed it, Peter King reported this morning that apparently Kirk Herbstreet is going to do the Thursday night game of the week for Amazon moving forward. I have no, you know, I like Kirk Herbstreet as much as the next guy. I think he's, I, I think Kirk Herbstreet is the definition of safe and fine when it comes to football. He's, he is good at what he does. He's not special. He doesn't bring something to the game that's so overwhelming. He's not entertaining, but he's very safe because he does a good job. He has no NFL cachet, but he's done a good job calling the couple of NFL games he's been given the last couple of years. He's certainly not embarrassed himself. And it's not as if, you know, um, Charles Davis doesn't have much of an NFL cachet. He's a good NFL broadcaster. Um, there's somebody else I was thinking of that, that, that didn't really have much of an NFL career, but yet is a good NFL analyst. And I... Bucky Brooks doesn't do games. There's somebody else that I was thinking of that doesn't that that doesn't that didn't really accomplish much in the NFL, but yet is a decent NFL analyst. Um, Kirk Herbstreit has no NFL cachet. The only thing I would say about this is I don't think anybody's demanding more Kirk Herbstreit, and it's the thing that made no sense. What's like they had him do a bowl game on the th- the thirty first, one of the the second semifinal game, and then fly overnight to call the Rose Bowl the next day in Pasadena. And all I can think to myself is, like, there are other analysts. <laughs> Somebody else could do the game. We as a country are not going to turn off the Rose Bowl because Kirk Herbstreet isn't calling it. it. They are convinced they need as much Kirk Herbstreet. The sport of football has for some reason convinced themselves that Kirk Herbstreet is the answer to every question. And there is not an adoring fan base that's demanding that. Nobody is sit around and saying, we need more Kirk Herbstreet. We all like him. He's fine. He's very he's quite fine at what he does. But it's just more and more. He's got to do game day, and he's got to do the Saturday night game, and now he's got to do a Thursday night game. Like, more, 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 more. And I don't know where that's coming from. I do not know how him. I don't hate him by any stretch of the imagination. Can't knock the hustle. Get your money, man. I ain't telling you not to try. <laughs> he's just he's like, he's like, I don't get it either. I I just yeah right like guys trust me I don't know why everybody loves me but <laughs> they all want to hire me um yeah people locally say that about me with play by play they're like hey man save some jobs for some other people I'm like bro I if they want to hire me I'm gonna let them hire me like that's the way it's gonna go um not that I'm comparing myself to Kirk Herbstreit by any stretch of the imagination the Kirk Herbstreit yeah I'm not making that abundantly clear I ain't I am not Kirk Herbstreit um but I just don't get it I I I think there are other analysts that either have a greater cachet or could present a level of entertainment that would have been more fascinating. One of the problems that undoubtedly the networks are coming into is that 
more and more wealthy players have no interest in traveling around the country all year. It's why ESPN can get the, the Mannings to sit in their living rooms and have a camera on them during Monday Night Football games, but can't get them to do the work that's necessary in order to actually be the analysts on the broadcast. Because then you got to travel in on a Saturday, and you got to do meetings with the teams, and you got to do meetings with your production crew and all of those things. And ESPN has figured out that they're not interested in that. But a lesser number to do less work? Yeah, you know, we'd be willing to do that. It's a bummer because it limits who it is that you can get. But I still come back to Kurt Warner is available. He's doing Monday Night Football games on Westwood One. How is that not a better option? Why wouldn't you just hire him to be the Amazon guy on Thursday nights instead of going to Kirk Herbstreet? I, I must be missing something here. Akib Dalib has been wonderful doing games for Fox. Why would that not be a good way? I, I just I'm so confused as why the answer always has to be Kirk Herbstreet anymore. Again, and I feel like I'm trashing him when I say that. I like Kirk Herbstreet, but it's just so much. It's almost overwhelming, man. Like, we don't need this much Kirk Herbstreet in our lives. Oh, I'm gonna, everybody thinks I'm going to hate Kirk Herbstreet now. Tidbit uh, brought to you today by Glory Days Grill, where the St. Patrick's menu is available. They got the Guinness grilling sauce for the smoky thigh wings. Oh, yeah, the Reuben, the Rachel. It's all available. GloryDaysGrill.com is the website for you to get your order in and find out more. All right, so we all know the story of the Maryland game versus Michigan State yesterday. They trailed 18-1 to after starting 0-14 for from the field. But in the second half of the game, Eric Ayala fueled a furious comeback, scoring 17 of his 19 points on 16 of on 6 of 11 shooting, including five three-pointers helping bring Maryland, who trailed by as many as 22, to within three points with just over seven minutes remaining. The five three-pointers uh, brought Ayala within nine of the second-place mark in school history of 230, set by Gravis Vasquez, a number that is likely safe barring a run in the Big Ten tournament by Maryland. Despite being third all-time in school history in three-point field goals made, Ayala currently has 1,432 career points, which mm-hmm. is a good college career, but doesn't sniff Maryland's top 10 all-time scorers. Nope. Who are the five players in Maryland history with over 2,000 points? Juan Dixon. He is number one, 2,269. Gravis Vasquez. He is number two, 2,171. I used to be able to do this in order. Um... I'm trying to remember who's third. Uh, third is third is Len Bias. Len right? Bias, twenty one hundred and forty six. Yeah. Those are the ones I knew you'd get. Well, I mean, I I don't remember what I know who the other two are. I just don't remember which one's fourth and which one's fifth. It's it's Adrian Branch and Albert King, and I can't remember who's fourth and who's fifth. Hmm. Who passed one of them? It's it's Albert King. But Adrian Branch is not. Who passed one. Adrian Branch? Who passed well, Adrian you gotta Branch? You got to guess. Who in the world passed Adrian Branch? Adrian Branch does not have 2,000 points. Adrian Branch most definitely has 2,000 points. He does not. There's no world in which Adrian Branch doesn't have 2,000 points. I get, I, I'm, I'm about to say something that I'm going to regret. Adrian Branch. Okay, Maryland basketball stats. Adrian Branch. Finished with, it's going to be egg on my face. Adrian Branch finished with, and they have averages. Where are the actual points listed? Oh, 1988. you got to be kidding me. you got to effing be kidding me. It's not 2,000. 
That's a Which real, means now that's you can a see real technicality. Um, so you got Albert King. He's at he's fourth, two thousand fifty-eight. There's one more player. One more player. I could have sworn that it was Adrian Brack. Um. So it's John Lucas. John Lucas, okay. two thousand fifteen. Got a lot of questions. I got a lot of Everything questions. Everything you know is wrong. I got, well, I got a lot of questions about all of this. I got a lot of questions here. All right. Uh, very good. Uh, t- uh, tubular, brought to you today by the Press Box Print Issue. Speaking of Maryland basketball, of course, it's not here for me to hold up. But if it were, I would tell you that it's got Gary Williams on the cover. Oh, we had to, it's, I know where it is. Uh, it's got Gary Williams on the cover. We celebrate the 20th anniversary of Maryland's Men's Basketball National Championship. And back in 2002, great uh, conversation with Gary, and we took, caught up with the players about how it all happened. You can go pick it up for free at your neighborhood Royal Farms, any of the hundreds of locations around town where you find PressBox or read it all. PressBoxOnline.com. Here's what's coming up tonight, totally tubular-wise. Of course, as we pointed out, Delaware Towson, 6 o'clock from down in D.C. in the CAA semifinals. It's on CBS Sports Network. And then the winner of that one gets the winner of Charleston and Wilmington. That's tonight at 8.30 on CBS Sports Network. SoCon Championship, uh, either Furman or Chattanooga's head of the tournament at 7 o'clock on ESPN. Either Louisiana or Georgia State is headed to the NCAA tournament as the Sun Belt title game is at 7 on ESPN2. The rest of the college basketball find at glennclarkradio.com. NBA TV, Warriors Nuggets at 9, ESPN Plus and Hulu, Maple Leafs Blue Jackets at 7, USA for Tottenham Hotspur and Everton at 3, WWE Monday Night Raw tonight at 8. Non-sports highlights? Uh, the Gilded Age at nine, and my brilliant friend at ten on HBO. You have a new episode of American. Oh, Dad there tonight. is controversy. Dale points out that Maryland recognizes Adrian Branch as having scored 2,017 points, and on their list, he is fifth. That's from Dale. Maryland's official all-time scoring list recognizes. Juan Dixon, Gravis Vasquez, Len Bias, Albert King, one through four, and then Adrian Branch, fifth at 2017, which is almost certainly why I thought that was the case over the years, is because so I've seen it from why them. On, uh, there has to be a discrepancy about something. I um, use the sports reference page, like the, like the well, college basketball equivalent. And of, you know what? That's why I found. Reference. That's where I looked to find his total of 1,988 points. That's where I looked as well. But Maryland officially recognizes Adrian Branch as 2,017 points and fifth all time. I don't know the answer. I don't have time to deal. It's 12:29. We won't deal with it now. But at some point, it will be something I would like to know about. To I would like this. to know. Yes. Um, secrets of play. The point is, I was right. The point sort is, sort of. I was right. Kind of. Maryland is the one that matters. You think sports reference knows more than Maryland does about Maryland they know scores? A lot. I'm not saying they don't know a lot. I'm not saying that. Go ahead. Um, the, the neighborhood at eight. Bob Hart's have a show at eight thirty on uh, CBS. The NCIS is at nine and ten. Nothing else of right. interest. All right. Very good. Um, go find it at GlennClarkRadio.com. Uh, a quick reminder, uh, know the risks, have a plan before you start gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. Thanks today to Mike Bordick. Thanks also to Pete Gillen as well as Jeremy Kahn. We'll get it all up in the greatest hits section of the Archives. tab at glennclarkradio.com. Tomorrow on the program, uh, of course, it's Tuesday, so we'll have Simply the Bets. Patrick Stevens will check in with us. 
uh, Randy Mueller, former Saints and Dolphins GM, and uh, we're going to talk to somebody from Navy Basketballs there in the Patriot League Championship game. Nice. Uh, I believe a player is going to join us tomorrow morning as well uh, as they get ready for Wednesday night against Colgate in the Patriot League title game. Thanks, everybody, at PressBox, all of our great sponsors and partners, including... Uh, Toyota, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com, Glory Days Grill, Underdog Fantasy Football, Live Casino and Hotel, as well as Royal Farms, Blue Line Canine, and more. Thanks to Paul. Follow him on Twitter, at Paul Valley the Third. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great Monday night. Go Towson. Duke sucks. <laughs> Ohio State sucks, too.